Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Welcome to Fandom Power. up my people hello folks <laughs> hey everybody it's uh wes and uh, andy welcome to your Sunday. Yeah, oh my god i was about to say sunday night <laughs> not yet soon but not yet that's so not true uh it's not sunday night it's uh saturday night special saturday night episode yeah it is a special saturday night episode because uh and i was thinking about this sorry i was thinking about this earlier we did our uh our uh, revelation trailer breakdown uh recently and uh now having sat through all of this and having done all of this i'm actually i'm actually disappointed that we didn't do a full dive on uh, part Part one one. yeah well there's a lot to unpack through both there certainly is uh the prep time alone for part two uh conceivably man it would have doubled it if we had done both parts yep uh which tells me (laughs) Going forward, um, when I'm going to review uh, two plus hours worth of material, start sooner in the week. <laughs> We've always said that thing about reviewing like a two and a half hour movie. So. Uh, God help it if anybody asks us to do that. <laughs> we'll be uh, we'll be slain with the with the, the the workload to get that done. However, you and I have both uh, are both uh, longtime Masters fans. Yep have been for a long time uh for me going all the way back to the vintage toy line i'm yeah, childhood toys that's one yeah. of my uh my originals uh me as well that being said um have you kept up with the brand over the years uh i've been in and out of it like right. the new adventures lost me completely but then the 2000x was like okay i kind of like these designs and yeah 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 then you know here we are there's a fond nostalgia for i think uh the filmation series uh, certainly there's a lot of fan outpouring for that series in light of what uh, has happened on Netflix. Yep. Now I'm fairly confident that I have a pretty good idea where you sit on the evolution of the brand with the Netflix series. And I think we have a very similar opinion of that. I certainly hold it in very high regard. Yeah. That's not the case though. At least it's not a hundred percent the case in the online community as we no. mentioned before, even just last night. Last night, I uh, I came across a couple of uh, review pieces for the show, and uh, the comment sections are a litany of why everything in the world is wrong. 
they're really divided though like i've seen a couple where it's like okay i was wrong after seeing part two i'm flipping on part one i yeah. enjoy the whole thing now but then there's people that are like doubling down no i still hate it i hate it sure sure it's like really was it so was it so bad like the the common uh and we've said it before the common one seems the common phrase seems to be it uh, ruined my childhood or it, it ruined the brand the one i saw last night quite uh, that came up quite a bit was it didn't adhere to any of the lore which i i can't wrap my head around that i have to say much like we've talked about before when you start looking at a, a property a television property or a film property for the purposes of review you start looking at it in a in a much deeper way and you start to appreciate it in a different way and i have to say just from my own research on tonight's show there is not a single thing in part two not one thing well maybe ex with the exception of the obvious one with tila fulfilling her destiny but there is nothing historically that does not stem from, from another from another part of existing motu lore be it you know original 2000 or the books or any comic yeah movie. oh yeah yeah there's something for everything in there somebody said it and i can't tell you i'm sure lots of people have said it but i mean the the notion that uh masters is a multiverse and has always been a multiverse maybe it's uh definitely uh it's a possibility sure it is it has to be yeah it has to be if not you know simply just for legal reasons but it doesn't have to be no the same old same old no and I think people who want the same old, same old should go back to the same old, same old and just consume it that way because that's gonna, that's going to go and make you happy and you should be happy. This is about enjoying, enjoying the property and enjoying the brand. Yeah. All right. So, and God knows there's enough throwback in this to like give you the feels from the original. It's like, yes, with, you know, all the vehicles they use and like they use the land shark, the Roton, the wind Raider, the point dread, uh, talent fighter yeah and it's yeah, like, yeah those are the toys you had uh they are and you know you almost never saw them represented in the original filmation series or they were represented slightly different yeah in a different style maybe yeah. not uh as not, toy not toy accurate but yeah still there. yeah and just the amount of vehicles and like nods and everything you put in this sure crazy like even uh the horse that came with fisto strider oh, strider yeah he's in there yeah strider is in there and then of course, even through the 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 illusion spell, you've get uh you get the Night Stalker variant yeah. of that as well. Which actually it, I guess it was Night Stalker made yeah. to look like Strider. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh if you're just joining us, it's uh Wes and Andy here. We're reviewing uh or we're we're taking a look back at uh part two of the the Netflix Masters of the Universe Revelation. We're gonna dive in uh, pretty deep tonight. Glad to have you guys along with us as always. Thank you for your support. As I uh, have said many times before, your entertainment options, especially on a Saturday night, are wide and varied. So we appreciate you being here with us. And without any further ado, let's uh, let's get right let's into it. In. I guess a couple more things before I get right into like uh, like start showing slides and stuff is I just kind of want to touch on uh, anybody who watched our uh, trailer review. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want to say I'm sorry for how wrong I was on uh, on some of the 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 stuff that i had predicted they're called theories for a reason that's true sometimes that's true they pan out sometimes hey, i mean what how many did we throw out there probably oh, quite a few yeah um i got one you did i got one one <laughs> and i'm happy with that one so so no no surprise this is a full spoiler cast if you were uh, not wanting to be if you're not wanting to be spoiled if you have not watched 
part two masters of the universe revelation this is your uh this is your uh this three your minute warning this is your three minute warning to get out <laughs> come back after you've watched it or if you're like me and you really don't care about being spoiled all that much stick around and uh, you can explore the series in the that unique way that we like to do here on our show i just uh, we've already talked about sort of the the brand itself and how this particular show how as much as it adheres to previous existing uh lore i like the way that they've picked and chosen which elements of what continuity to, to pull forward into this one mm-hmm. you know much the same way that we've talked about uh in, in our star wars review series how uh the feloni verse <laughs> is re recontextualizing things by by picking and choosing the best parts of legends and bringing it forward we're getting a very similar thing here with masters where and I'd love to be, I'd love to be a fly on the wall or, you know, in the writer's room when these decisions are made. And, and, uh, like, I have to believe that the writers, uh, Kevin Smith and all are super passionate about the brand, but you can't tell me that they didn't have a dedicated team of people who were doing the research for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because there's so, so much connectivity. All right. They did take some bold choices too, though. Uh, like yeah, where, of course it did. Yeah. Things were left up in the air with the vintage one. Yes. They've flat out ironed it out and now it's like established. Yeah. And we'll yeah, get yeah. to those. But uh, one thing I want to, I want to start with, did you notice that uh, there's a lot of death? In this there is <laughs> the whole thing overall. Like, yeah, it's still He-Man, but it's really got that undertone of, you know, they know we were the ones watching the vintage show. Yes. And there's that upped level of, You've got a, a team of writers and directors and arguably your even your voice cast who, uh, you know, are either are our age or even younger who probably have their own, you know, sort of fond memories of what the brand means to them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like for me as a for us as a Gen X, it's a, the perfect time to be an adult because all of our childhood properties are are sort of getting the the remake, the royal treatment in Hollywood. Yeah. And uh Man, as long as they keep turning it out at a at a uh, reasonable caliber, uh, I'm down to consume it. Yeah, um, and certainly this series does lend it sets. Up, there's a great setup for a, a, another season going forward. Um, we'll talk a bit more more about that when we get to the end because that's where sort of the the seeds are planted. Quite literally. Yeah. Yes. Quite literally. As always. We are live. We're taking your comments uh, and uh, your thoughts on the series as we go. So feel free to uh, hit us up in the uh, in the chat on the platform of your choice. So <laughs> episode one, it's called Cleaved in Twain. And uh, I just want to get that right out of the way that we finally have 100% without any doubt, uh, all clarity as to who is Tila's biological father. And of course, it is Duncan. It is Duncan. So. So, uh, continuity established. Absolutely. And, and I mean, if anybody's doubting that, I think you can sum it up in the line. I will never leave our baby's side. Yep. Uh, that's pretty on the nose as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It kind of, uh, shuffles away the theory from 2000 X though. Uh, yeah. So, I mean the 2002 continuity that, uh, perhaps it was Fisto Fisto who in that continuity is, uh, Duncan's brother, brother. Right. So. And then, you know, I don't think we talked about this on air, but we certainly did post-show and we were talking about, you know, how are they going to bring him back? And uh, I had I had brought this up 
were they gonna you know were they gonna princess bride the whole thing and it turns out uh that's exactly what they did look who knows so much huh well it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead which means he's somewhat alive yeah (laughs) clearly he's got something to live for yes of course he is it's it's a cool it's a cool scene though i mean you had to know i mean right off the hop when they start dragging adam across the floor and he's clutching his wounds it's like oh okay he's he's really he's not really dead he had to be somewhat alive in order to just severely wounded yes big time and that was another thing like they showed like blood trails across the floor that's something never present in the original well this is it like i i uh to some of the detractors of part one i i I question like like when when in motu uh, television did a character die of violent death let alone a stabbing through the chest and impaling (gasps) run them through i can't think of a time where it really where it happened the sword was always deflecting laser bolts sure happens a lot in this series though (laughs) speaks to the uh, extra adult level going on part two picks up exactly where part one left off it plays exactly like uh like a great little as a miniseries should it's uh totally bingeable i think it works best if you watch part two in one sitting if you've got the time to do it it's totally worthwhile to do that going forward here the sorceress who up until now has been sort of restrained or or bound i guess you could say Mm -hmm. by the skele god uh exerts you know some of her power and she's able to break free and uh she kind of does this uh this hero moment where she's basically going to put herself between the skele god and of course her daughter and their friends kind of a last gasp of uh it's the uh what i guess it's the last stand really yeah the uh heroic sacrifice can uh, can we call it that i think so yeah and i mean you get the impression that she's been the sorceress for like a long time yeah i mean at least as however old the that that tila is yeah but i almost get the impression like especially from uh, the visit to preternia there's only one other champion there uh, sorry, there's only one other uh, champion who is depicted as being a sorceress. Hmm. You know, like, where are the other incarnations of the sorceress? What happened to them? Yeah. Did they not go to Praternia as well? Unless they became one with Zor. I guess so. That's another thing in this series. What do, what do you think about the um, the allegories and the the metaphors, the religious metaphors throughout the series? Well, they're sprinkled there. We've got Praternia, which is essentially uh, He-Man heaven. Yep. Which prior to now, I mean, Praternia was widely accepted to be like prehistoric, yeah, prehistoric uh, Eternia. But uh, I, I'd almost say they're doing it for the balance sake, right? You have your Praternia, you have your yeah. Subternia, yeah, yeah. and then you know there's your heaven and hell with Eternia, Eternia being right the in the middle, cent- literally the center point of the universe. Uh, symbolically speaking, that actually makes sense when you consider that even Eternia itself, there's a light and a dark hemisphere. Yep. Right. So, I mean, it, it's certainly consistent throughout and that we see that imagery throughout the, throughout the show. We see the, it's actually on uh, Randor's tent in the base camp. You'll see that there's a, like a, a full uh, light and a full dark orb mm-hmm. on the door of the tent, Yeah, which is kind of cool. It's all about balance. Absolutely. So the balance is about to shift here because as I say, you know, the historic or the historic, the heroic sacrifice uh, that is as uh as a sorceress as our sorry tila's mom puts herself uh between them and of course skeletor or skeletor just has no uh no time to really waste on her at this point but it's important to note that when this happens that she's actually used sort of the last vestiges of her magic to sort of 
teleport them away. Yeah, she whisked everybody away. And I had this thought, (laughs) and I want to know what you guys think of this. I had this thought, had they not have teleported everybody away, how do you think Adam uh, would have taken to seeing this, the, the power sword, the very source of his power used to kill uh, one of his most trusted friends. I think it would have broke him. I think I have to think that on some level he would have a very hard time picking that up again. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know the stakes for the, the series are, are certainly super high enough and that alone is probably enough to compel him. But on a, on a personal level, like that's gotta hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Now there is something in the, uh, the dark horse, four comic revelation series the uh, that, uh four issue prequels yes uh, yeah, yeah yeah this guy right here excellent but it touches on the sword and the origin of the sword and you know the sword has been passed down from champion to champion to champion so yeah i mean when you wrap that up how much action has that sword seen over the time right quite a bit for sure yeah so back to the the power sword itself uh, I'm not sure how, so I haven't, I personal, uh, f- full disclosure, I have not read the revelation comic, so I'm not sure how they're handling that, but in other, uh, established lore, they talk about the, uh, the power, the, the first wielder of the power sword was, oh, I want to say it was hero. Well, in the comic, it's actually King Grayskull. Oh, right. King and Grayskull. And then he passes it to hero to hero. That's who is his yeah. son. But as he is training him, he's going over it with him and he's like, it's not a sword you have to have it become part of you. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're comfortable and using it, it will just be an extension of your arm. Oh, so in that aspect, interesting, you know, when Adam uses it, it's an aspect of him, but when Skelegod is using it, technically it's an aspect of him. So it doesn't reflect on the sword itself, just the user on the wielder. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, uh, thought that it amplifies maybe some of the, the traits of the, the person who's wielding it to, to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that actually. So we've come to find out that uh in the uh in the fray, as it were, uh we lose the sorceress. But at the same time, as we all saw in the trailer, we are now presented with a new a new sorceress, and of course that's evil Lynn. So point of note here though, and this is something that I took away from the series, and and uh, you and I had talked about this earlier this week, and I feel like this is the greatest flaw in the storytelling is that with the sorceress dead and Skeletor in possession of the power sword, that makes him both the keeper of the secrets to Castle Grayskull and the champion at the same time. Which right now, I mean, this early in the series, it doesn't mean a whole lot because they they fill us with the notion that, you know, the that uh, Grayskull requires, what does he say? He's a, a mistress of magic. And, uh, the reason for that is, you know, that they have to be there to defend the secrets. Yeah. So the only thing I can come up with is he made her the sorceress so that he could leave and not be bound by the curse. True. Which gets a really, it gets a little bit more convoluted because later on when he starts communing with the universe and he starts to understand that the celestial apex is coming. He knows the amount of power that's coming with it. He knows, like, he could have broken the curse. And as as I said to you earlier this week, I'm like, why didn't he just wait? I mean, he was literally the instrument of his own undoing. Yeah, but so many times we've seen he's also impatient. And same here. He's he's his own worst enemy. Yep. 
you know, all of the, um, there's a lot of blame, uh, with that character. He likes to pass things off. Like, yeah. And it, you see it in this, like the, there's a couple of references where he's like, you bumbling boob. Yeah. Sort of a callback to the Alan Oppenheimer days. Right. But uh, most of that, most of that is gone. He's a much more serious character and, uh, but he's still quick to pass the buck. Like it's, uh, well, there's another way. Once you consume the comic, there is another way to look at this. Sure. Uh, because in issue three, they kind of dive in on evil Lynn's origins. Yep. And in his own twisted way, by him making her the sorceress, he's kind of fulfilling a promise that he made to her when he met her. Okay. Because when he met her, she couldn't fully access magic. She was being somewhat restrained by her teacher. And he comes to her and says, you know, I will help you access it and I will grant you all the power come due to you. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe in his own twisted way, making her the sorceress is his way of doing that. Oh, maybe to fulfill that promise. So we've got our, uh, chain of events that are sort of unfolding at the castle, but then our heroes, when they get teleported, they find themselves, uh, back at, uh, Eternos at the city of Eternos, actually at uh, the Eternos palace where they are immediately accosted by, uh, these two fellows here, clamp champ and, uh, and Fisto. So as we already mentioned before, Duncan's uh, brother. I don't know if he's a brother in this continuity. There's no real mention of that. No, they, they make a point of using clamp champs, real name uh, in this quite a bit. Rainius. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, they recognize Tila. They don't recognize Andra. At first they don't recognize her though. It's Cringer who steps up. And oh, says, that's hey, true. What the hell are you doing? It's Tila. Mind you, when Tila left, she looked a lot different. She had a, a much more, uh, well, she had her traditional, uh, filmation hairstyle. Yeah. And then got her, uh, her, uh, haircut, her, I guess uh, after she left. Yeah. Rebellion haircut. Yeah. 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 Her, uh, Cara Dune. There you go. That's what I call it. The Cara Dune. Kim calls it something else, but <laughs> I call it the Cara Dune. <laughs> all right. So the, there's this whole interaction about, you know, is it true? Is Skeletor come back? Because they all witnessed the big cloud over gray skull. And it's like, that's when they took the cue to start evacuating the, the king and, and, and the, the palace. People. And there's a moment where, uh, you know, they're like, well, you can ask him yourself. Yeah. And, uh, and he like reveals himself. In yeah. The there's the, this, this visage. Yeah. Of Skelegod in the sky. And, uh, I have to say another cringe worthy moment, if not, and I, I'm, I'm going on the record here, folks. This is the most cringe worthy line ever spoken in animation and possibly in television of all time. But at the same time, is this not a throwback? Well, again, of course it is. But I mean, like y- you double take when you hear, I'd sure like to fist him. Did he just say that? <laughs> like, did he really just say that? Yep. I mean, in case you missed it, I'd sure like to fist him. <laughs> Kimberly says through YouTube that it is a horrible haircut. <laughs> Okay, well, you're not the first person to say that. It's not the most uh, flattering. I will give you that, but it's not horrible, and it and it certainly suits the the characterization of this uh, or the portrayal of this character throughout the series. So, I give her a pass on this one, but it's not it's not something that I would uh, I would settle on. That's for sure. Well, there's an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where it's all about a woman's right to chop. Uh, woman's right to chop and a, and a Fisto's right to, uh, like to fist him. it never gets old. I don't know. <laughs> I can't help it. It just never gets old. It's a throwback to that comic panel. He fisted as hard as he could, but he can't fist no more. 
but I'm, I'm literally sitting there watching and I'm like, I literally double, I'm like, did he really just say that? <laughs> he just really said that. Yep. <laughs> Can you imagine just for a second now being the actor who's got to do that here, and, say and being, the line. here, here's your script. Now go learn your lines. And then reading that. <laughs> yeah, he's working for Kevin Smith. It's not too far off. How many times in the booth, you know, did you get like voice direction from Kevin going, can you give more fist? <laughs> more fist, less O. <laughs> All right. What's interesting, though, is that uh, remember back in the trailer, we were talking about the Skelcon uh, armies, yes. and we kind of wondered, like, where did all the Skelcons uh, come from? Yeah. And, of course, we get that answered for us when, uh, yeah, Skeletor actually uses the power of Grey Skull to actually uh, twist and mutate. Corrosive mist. Yeah. The just corrosive mist that's got a sweeps across uh, Eternos. And yeah. So, I mean, uh, clearly not everybody evacuated from the city or uh, yeah. was not able to evacuate before this happened. And uh, they succumbed to the mist and became Skelcons. And unfortunately, our dear friends, uh, Rainier and uh, Fisto, were not immune to that. And uh, they were also turned into skeletons yeah and they only got minorly touched by it too so it's not like you had to be fully engulfed well i mean here's the thing we we talked about this back in uh, the trailer review and i actually i made a point to say like man skeletor is like ruthless towards his own minions he ended up you know smoking his own uh, skeletons i didn't realize at the time that's what we were looking at and that oh it's uh it's two of the heroic warriors yeah so and it just adds to that whole user aspect. Oh my them. God, does it ever? It sure does. Uh, and then, I mean, even Tila, she says like, you know, she apologizes and like you guys deserved better deaths. And then we get, uh, the, as we all saw in the trailer, we get that, uh, in that moment where Skeletor or Skelegod busts in and uh, essentially attacks the palace, he comes looking for, uh, for He-Man. And uh, we have that moment in the, in the palace where they are, uh, they're laughing at each other and it's like what it's like, what what's so funny what are we laughing about here and again as you say with the uh, the power sword uh, potentially amplifying traits of the user we get this like shocking reveal i thought it was shocking in the trailer but it's even more shocking in the context of of knowing what the power sword actually can do yep adam says you know that the sword was only the conduit and that the spark was always him and wondered what would happen if i spoke the words without the sword and of course we got the uh we got the big uh savage he-man uh look who's really to me uh, my way of thinking is just essentially the hulk <laughs> basically <laughs> what is original uh, mindless smashing hulk what does she say tila says all uh all rage no reason yep yeah the sword was the channel that made it all like uh controllable i guess uh, this, i talked about this a little bit before and I want to talk about it again, uh, this whole notion of calling down the power of Grayskull without the sword suggests that to me, to my way of thinking, I made the allegory before that now, is the power of Grayskull somewhat akin to like the force in Star Wars? Like, does it have a, does it have a semi-intelligence? Like, is it, it's possible. Is it selective? Or is it possible that all his time as He-Man, he's learned some of the secrets? You know, I never thought of it from that point. Because, like, uh, Skeletor is always wanting to learn the secrets, but there's, like, clearly more. Yeah, yeah, learn. yeah. Well, does he want to learn or he just wants the power? He just wants the power. But my question around this is, if Adam can call down the power of Grayskull 
what about the other champions? What about the previous champions? You think they could have done it? Maybe. Could another champion of Grayskull use the power without the sword? Would they become savage versions of themselves? It's possible. Savage hero. Or is there or... something that is like tap, like a, you know, you're a chosen one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I hope, well, I hope at some point, whether it's in a comic book or, you know, even just a, you know, a throwaway line somewhere that, you know, in a book that somebody takes the time to, uh, you know, canonize that and, and answer it. Because I think that's probably one of the most, because this show above anything else really kind of like explores what is the power of Grayskull and how does it work? And, and, and so there's these unanswered questions about it that as somebody who likes to dive in on this stuff, I need more. Well, in issue one of the series, they do kind of do it. They do the origin of the sword. Yeah. But they do it strictly as a means to channel that power of Grayskull. Interesting. So he has to forge the two halves and only then can he channel that power. Right, right, right. But And so that's kind of the, in a nutshell, that's our first episode mm-hmm. um, where, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very, uh, it pl- it plays pretty fast. It does. The whole thing does. Back yeah. to back. Yeah, yeah. It's really quick. Which brings us up to our uh, our second episode, and uh, the second episode, this one, it's called Reason and Blood. And just like part two on the back end of uh, part one, each episode as a serialized show, it picks up exactly where the last one left off. Yep. So we get this, uh, what I call the dog pile, as uh, a bunch of the Skelcons come in. And what's interesting here is, like, if this guy is, like, all rage and no reason. And of course, look, the size of the man is hulking. I'm actually surprised that they were able to bring him down. But what's cool here is we get our first call back to the toy line in the form of uh, He-Man's vintage battle, uh, axe. battle axe, which apparently in some versions he was intended to carry, not not a sword at all. Mm-hmm. And I might add that uh, this axe get you, it gets used quite uh, ruthlessly as he decimates well pretty much everybody in that room as well as a bunch more outside yeah and judging by the clothing they were all left over uh civilians yeah yeah yeah. like farmers and shopkeepers and like dudes like you and me the ones who were just trying to get their last (laughs) you know handful of trinkets before they left that's true that is so true yeah yeah there's a moment outside that i i I made a note in my uh, note i made a point in my notes Talking about the power of Grayskull, there's a, a moment where uh, Savage He-Man, he swings that axe and he nails Skelegod in the head and it snaps the the head of the axe right off. I mean, that tells me something that, yes, I know it's, an, it's a regular axe. It's not, you know, the, the power sword. So, of course, it's not as strong. But Skeletor just took a blow from Savage He-Man upside the head like it was nothing. So that's pretty cool. We get this like cool looking villain uh, outside as Skeletor basically summons uh, these rock monsters. And I could not for the life of me, you know, the, the four eye thing, I got kind of lost on these because I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent sure on the origins of these guys. If anybody out there knows exactly what these things are, shoot us a line in the comments and uh, fill us in. But these four eyed rock monsters, which they could be a callback to the uh, classic filmation children's book the um the rock warriors or possibly what are they called the rock men from the rock uh, men who lived under eternia yeah the rock men from the classic uh filmation tv show yeah 
I know there's a, I think there's more of a visual similarity between the book and the filmation episode than there is then to the revelation episode. Like these guys look like, I don't know. They just look like something else. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I was trying to find like an action figure shot. Cause I thought is there a character that there is a rock guy. Yeah, there's uh, Rock On and Stonedar, isn't but there? There is Rock On and Stonedar. There's also Krita, the 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 lady. Is it Krita? I can't remember if that's her name. The 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 lady rock warrior, but they're like comets from space. Yeah. But there's a horde character who's a rock guy hmm. who proportionately is closer to these guys, but I don't think that these guys are are that species. So like I said, if anybody knows what these guys are, let us know. All right. So then afterwards, uh, once uh, Savage He-Man uh, basically cleans up the uh, the rock dudes and uh, barrels off into the wilderness, we get uh, Skeletor returning back to uh, Castle Grayskull, and he's not happy. No. He has no idea what's happened and uh, basically takes a shot at uh, Lynn and telling her, like, hey, I, to- I made you the Sorceress of Grayskull, and the power flows only through you. Did you give it to him? And of course she's quite shocked at that. And she's like, no, I, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't. And, uh, he's like, well, you better be telling me the truth. You know, the idea that, uh, I made you the, I made you the sorceress of Grayskull. You better find out what's going on. And, uh, I mean, of course that plays into the relationship that they have yeah. throughout the series and really the relationship that they've had pretty much for all time. Yeah. That certainly hasn't really changed a whole lot between. I guess between series, I mean, in the 2002 series, I mean, there was a little more, there was a little more uh, implicit that they may have, but one time had a romantic relationship. Yeah. And I mean, in filmation, she was clearly the strongest willed of the evil warriors. Yeah. You know, nobody else had their, had their game together as much as she did. So, I mean, arguably they had more of a relationship there as well, but this, this series is going to take it in a, in a different a more adult yeah 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 yeah. direction she does actually uh refer to him as my love yeah she does that a few times in the book as well interesting and uh when he does come to her you know he comes to her with a promise of you know a better tomorrow he promises that to her he does he's like come with me and i will help you unlock all your powers and we will oh right so that must be in this in that we get a condensed version we really do yeah Yeah. with uh, him and his horde apprentice gear Yes, which we're going to take a look at here shortly. Yeah. So leaving Lynn to her own devices, Skelegod starts, uh, I mean, is he, uh, it basically starts down his addiction. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I've never had a drug issue, but I I have to imagine that it might be something like this where he starts like communing with the universe through the power of Grayskull. Yeah, he just steps right in the stream and drinks it in. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like, you know, uh, in a Johnny Mnemonic uh, Tron kind of way, like being part of the thing that you're trying to control and in this matrix kind of way. Um, but yeah, he dives into the stream and of course we're going to find out sort of what that leads him to. As I said before, given the information that he uncovers, I don't know why he didn't just wait. (laughs) You could have just waited and had it all, but even in the comics, he really should have waited because at like the final part of part four, yeah, he's got a hint of what's coming. Right. Thanks to the Orlax and you know, patience really would have done him well. The Orlax. That's going to come up quite a bit here because the, there's a big hole there with the Orlax. There that, is a lot filled in through the comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Meanwhile, uh, we've got our, our heroes, including Adam, Savage, He-Man, Tila and Andra have uh, teleported away just like the sorceress used her teleportation to send them to uh, Eternos. Tila uses a, a spark of her power, her emerging power, by the way, yep, and lands in the Mystic Mountains. That's cool. We've been to the Mystic Mountains before. Uh, it's certainly a, it's a common name throughout uh, Motu lore. It's been referenced across pretty much all of the uh, iterations of it. But uh, this is probably the best look we ever get at it. Yeah. Has uh, that uh, Pandora, Avatar Pandora quality, you know, with the levitating rocks and the the uh, the blue in the trees. Yeah. All right. So according to the He-Man Bible, the Mystic Mountains are actually uh, the home to Manticores, just like we see here. Also giants, as well as the Avions and the Andrenids, who we're going to see later on at the uh, the end of the series. But before we get there, do we want to dive in on what uh, Savage He-Man does to this poor? Uh... Uh, we can. I I debated whether or not to include an image of that because it's pretty uh, it savage. It's pretty grim. We get this uh, shot of uh, of Adam uh, Savage He-Man rolling out of the woods, and uh, his hands. You know the the proverbial. You know your hands are covered in blood. It's literally dripping blood as Cringer uh, leans into the river to take a drink. The blood starts rolling down the the, the river. And uh, they look up, and then there's the mutilated remains of what's left of this manticore. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, whatever is going on inside uh, Adam's mind, it's uh, very much unbridled, savage, and instinctual. Yeah. And then, but contrast that later on when, uh, you know, he finally relinquishes the power. And, uh, you know, there, there's the negotiation about, you know, and you can call down the power without the sword. I watched you do it. You get the sense that Adam remembers. Oh, yeah. He knows what he did. And he's like, I'm not doing that again. As he said, like, I nearly, you know, I almost, he, that thing, I almost killed the king. So he has to have known that he killed that creature. Yeah. You know, barehanded at that, plus all those Kind of like Bruce Banner, you know, taking well, the back seat and watching while the Hulk does his thing. Oh, absolutely. All right. So while they're rocking around the Mystic Mountains trying to uh, calm him down and and uh, what's, a, what's the, the Avenger term? They're going to give him a lullaby? They're yeah. Trying, they're trying to give him a lullaby. <laughs> we flash back to uh, uh back to the castle and uh we see that uh, man at arms is uh imprisoned uh with a creature that's referred to as the orlax of primeria uh and according to the research that i did the uh, orlax is a beast that apparently exists in two dimensions at once simultaneously having first traveled to eternia some 500 years before the time of he-man and it cannot be killed. Correct. Did you want to get into the Orlax thing that well, you've got, I, I or should get, I? I can get into it because the, you want to do the toy thing first. Yeah, go for the toy thing. The first. toy thing. So this is a cool little callback. Absolutely um, cool nod. What's interesting is that the the playset, the Castle Grayskull playset, was intended to have a dungeon. Yeah. And it never got a dungeon because of tooling costs or this and that and whatnot. So it got a sticker. It got a sticker. And uh, so the Orlax is a direct homage to the sticker, which you can see here, which uh, it's pretty cool. And then, it, you know, there's people uh, that have taken to, you know, uh, rendering it with uh, 3D printers. And now even Mattel, 
with the current uh, toy line that they're supporting, the Masters of the Universe Origins line, they just uh, put out through Mattel Creations. The Secrets of Grey Skull accessory. Yeah, the pack. accessory pack, which is. Uh, it includes yeah. the Orlax limb, the Spirit of Grey Skull, and I believe. The, the robot suit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a cardboard cutout on the original toy. Yeah. On the Classics Castle, it's just a injection molded piece of plastic, but at least it has some 3D. Yeah, some three dimension to it. All right, but going back to the Orlax and how it came to be. The Orlax is a sentient being older than, you know, Eternity and all that. And what happened was he willed himself across time and space yep. to bring a warning to Eternia. Oh. And that's how he first shows up here and appears to King Grayskull. Do we know what the warning is? We do eventually find out what oh, the warning okay. is. But uh, when he touches somebody from Eternia, they're poisoned in the mind. They go like comatose. Oh, so they think he's hostile, but it turns out it's just a side effect of him being in that realm. Interesting. So of course, uh, King Hiss at the time is battling with King Grayskull. So do wait, do I understand it correctly? Cause I, I, I only read a little bit about the Orlax cause I wanted to save it cause I wasn't sure, but do I, do I understand it correctly that it communicates by touch? Yes. Okay. Touch and psychically. Oh, okay. But uh, King Hiss, of course, discovers it first and sees that he can control it through the mind Yeah. and turns it as a weapon against King Grayskull. So wait, wait. Hiss makes an appearance in the prequel. In the prequel comics, yeah. Okay, well, isn't that something then? Yeah. Because, I mean, it's no secret that in, in Master's lore, there are three factions of, uh, of, of characters, essentially. And uh, Snake Men are one of them. And we did not see them, no. uh, at least not overtly anyway. No, not even a Cobra Khan. No. But uh, in a weird twist in the comic, in just prior to the series taking place, the Orlax appears again. Okay. And touches King Randor, trying to bring him the warning. Oh. Which puts him comatose and sets He-Man on a track to try and find out. So the sorceress sends him back through a portal yeah. to investigate its arrival. Oh, okay, okay. And he goes back, finds King Grayskull. Yeah, yeah. And that because he's got the power sword, cuts one of the tentacles off. Oh, okay, okay. And you know the the uh, the Orlax when it first shows up in the comic book, it sees the power sword and bails because it knows what that sword. Can it recognizes. Do. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But it turns out that because it knows what it is, it's just a big time loop because it knows what it is because He Man went back with oh, the sorceress. Wow. Time paradox. <laughs> it, it totally is. Because when he leaves, he says, you know, we were, we're dealing with the Orlax in our time and hero. He's like the Orlax. He's like, Oh, I guess we know how it got his name now. And uh, <laughs> that's cool. But anyway, he takes it back to normal times and the sorceress is able to, you know, imprison it and it regenerates itself into the full Orlax. Oh, and she communes with it. But at the same time, Skeletor, with the help of Evil Lynn, yeah, is yeah. trying to commune with it as well and unlock these secrets. <laughs> and they get further faster. Sorry, the evil warriors get fast. Yeah. Uh, go faster. Yeah. And Skeletor keeps getting glimpses of what he needs to know, like the coming apex. And yeah, eventually they figure out, you know, it's trying to warn us. It's trying to help us. But in touching them, you know, like it does rend them comatose. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Tila unwittingly because she gets really upset again, you know, like something's going on here. What are you guys not telling me? 
Oh, okay. And the power of Grayskull works through her and frees King Randor. Interesting. And then in a weird twist, they, you know, do the old mind flash on her and she forgets. Oh, yeah. And the Superman kiss. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Orko's like, do we have to? And they're like, you know, you ask this every time. You're going to flashy thing me? <laughs> yeah. Implying that they flashy thing her a lot. Oh. But uh, in the end, we find the Orlax was trying to deliver a message, a warning that the end of the universe is coming. Uh, and and in, lo and behold, in a weird little silhouette, they show it in the eye of the Orlax. They show you who's going to cause it. The celestial apex? The, or the uh, end of the universe. Yeah. They actually show Lynn? They don't show who it is. Oh, but you get the right, silhouette right. of Lynn. Okay. So, but now that we've seen that, now that you've seen you it, yeah, it connect, makes a whole yeah, lot You can more totally sense. connect. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. All right. You're going to loan me those comics, right? Yeah. Ah, right on. Yeah, you need to consume these. There's a there's that like, you line. Don't, you don't need to consume them to fully enjoy it, but it does add a whole. No, but layer. I mean, you you want the full experience, and I mean, uh, to me, it's adjunctive. So why oh. why wouldn't I? And there's another part on the origins of Skeletor, which like sets his origin in oh, stone. That's cool because there's a it's. I don't want to say it's a throwaway line, but there's a the line of like, well, you know, it can't be killed. That's why you imprisoned it down here. Yeah. So, God, it's been sitting there for a while. Yeah. Right. Because like King Grayskull finds out, you know, you can't kill it with a normal sword. No, no, no. Because it exists in two planes at once. Right, 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 right. So that's basically what started the whole need for the power sword in the first place. Mm, he makes yeah. a deal with Scareglow to get some ore from Subiternia. Yeah. Makes the dark half of the power sword to go with his oh, light half. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forges yeah. them together and is able to. Oh, you know. that's. Yeah. Okay. So the power sword comes about because they think the Orlax is evil. So we get this, uh, now that we're all up to speed on the Orlax, uh, there's still a couple questions I have about that, but I'll bring them up later as they sort of happen because there's that, I'm still not 100% on that communication thing because I know that there's, there's a, it's implied, I think, you know, later on through this, uh, we're about to sort of talk about the uh, interrogation here when Skeletor shows up. He actually uh, limbs the Orlax in some form of, of magical energy. Yeah. Presumably that hurts it. Yeah, and I guess you know at this point with Skeletor wielding the power of Grayskull and and being the Skelet God, and really that sword is the only thing. Well, yeah, I mean he he does have the power to hurt it, I guess. Yeah. So this is at this point, I mean he's uh, basically wanting to know everything about uh, Prince Adam's manipulation of the power, and uh, and Duncan doesn't take very well to that. He's like the fact that you refer to it as a manipulation, you know, says that you just you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. But more specifically, he wants to know how many times did he call it without oh. the sword? And uh, Duncan kind of like, oh, uh, at the at the idea that he was able to do that. So the conversation here, it's pretty cool because they, they kind of touch, they kind of gently, uh, you know, massage the notion of like Adam, the, uh, you know how Adam was portrayed in the filmation show, like how he was kind of like, he was the Clark Kent of the show, like yeah, kind always of running away and cowardly. And yeah. And, and bumbling. And it's like all those years and you knew and, and like, why did you follow him? And Duncan basically schools him and he's like, you know what? We, we chose to follow him because he only ever called on the power when someone else needed it. He gave it away. And that's what made him a hero. So I like the fact that they really kind of, because really, how do you, how do you have uh, what uh, over what 80, 80 episodes of uh, of that show where yeah. where Adam is like because you can only 
you can only run to the bushes so many times. Right. And so how do you, how do you write yourself away from that? So that in a credible way that makes the viewer, you know, the person who's grown up with that show, uh, invest in the character now and go, okay, yeah, I, I can, I can buy into that Yeah, yeah because he gave it away. So that's pretty cool. There's another part to that scene too, where Duncan is dodging and weaving against the Orlax. Oh, that's right. And he's like 30 hours of this. Come on. <laughs> Don't you ever up. sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Which says that, you know, Duncan's been going yeah, dodging yeah, yeah, yeah. for 30 hours. So yeah. Speaks to oh. him. Oh, I guess I did get the manicure in there. Oh, so there, there uh, the, the all rage and no reason. I mean, there's this like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with him? And it's like, like literally, I mean, by now Cringer has tried to Cringer. Who's like Adam's, I mean, can you say best friend? I think. So. I mean, he's got some ba- other best friends. I mean, Orca was arguably a best friend. Duncan is a best friend. Tila is arguably a best friend. But I mean, Cringer, who like goes into battle with him every t- almost every time, yep. has tried to reason with him and and cannot. And Tila, the woman that he actually, dun dun dun, he loves her. Uh, he does yeah, she can't even get through to him. So by a sheer stroke of luck. A clarion uh, call by a, a, a horn basically distracts him and uh, he runs off. Is it luck though? Because I think with Tila's magic, she is still somewhat being guided. I think so too. I think that, you know, there's this whole talk about nihilism uh, is sort of a theme throughout the show, especially with evil Lynn. And, and they mention about there's no grand design and there's no, there's no order to anything. But at the same time, like Tila questions, how did I get us here? She doesn't know. It just yeah. maybe this is where magic chose to, to bring us. Maybe it's where you needed to be. A divine hand yeah. kind of guiding the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the clar- the clarion call, the horn call actually comes from our next toy throwback. As it turns out that uh, Point Dread has now been set up as a, a refugee camp for the uh, the fleeing Eternians. And it also happens to be uh, the base camp for the uh, the Royal Guard. And uh, we see at the center of the camp there that uh, the Royal family uh, are there as well. This is kind of cool, a uh, cool little throwback. The point dread that we see in the show, which again, the whole show is about, uh, you know, adapting and modifying and, and making things sort of its own. I like how point dread is its own thing, but you can still see the basic shape at the top. Yeah, of the uh, the point dread playset from the vintage line, and of course when they when they did it again for classics, they just scaled it up and made it bigger, badder, and better. Yeah, and uh, that was the cool thing about the point dread playset was that you could take the top half uh, that held the talon fighter and you could clip it to the uh, the the parapet of uh, Castle Grayskull. Yeah, which you can still do. Which actually here in the in the studio I actually have one here. <laughs> It's actually one of my uh, favorite. I don't think you can, well, you can't really see it. Anyway, it's yeah. a great little piece. It's okay. All right. So point dread cringer makes a, a thing, a point about saying this. And I, this kind of, I think taps into the, the toy, uh, the, the play set, how the, it was meant to attach to castle gray skull. Cringer actually says that, you know, point dread is shrouded by the power of gray skull from Skeletor's dark magic. So there's That's a connection, cool. even though, uh, they're miles and miles apart. And as I said before, it's now a refugee camp. So uh, the, the clarion call goes off again. And I mean, uh, Adam is all just, he's pure rage. Carolyn right towards it. Yeah. And I mean, as he, uh, as he leaps off the, the cliff and down into the valley and, and basically runs down, essentially runs down his own father 
the Royal Guard is essentially powerless to stop him. And this is why I say, like, I'm surprised that the, the dog pile of Skelcons could actually take him down because in this, a bunch of the guards get some ropes on him and they actually... They kind are, of hold him for a second. Yeah, I mean, they're able to restrain him for, uh, well, maybe if a second or two longer than the Skelcon dog pile. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a great comedy beat from Cringer, too, though, when Savage He-Man just jumps down. He's like, I'm not going. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> And then they they slide down and he's like, oh, and he, he goes down anyway. But uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, he breaks the lines and he's about to essentially smash. Hulk, Hulk smash his own father. And there's this moment of like where the expression on his face changes and uh, you can hear the voice of Randor, who's basically at this point, he's recognized his son's eyes in the beast. And he's like, I thought I would never see those eyes again. And realizing that it's his son, he, he kind of waxes poetic about how he's sorry and, and how, you know, all this time I was meant to be king, but I was a terrible father. And, uh, you know, basically says he's sorry and, and you know, hugs Adam and tells him, you know, I'm proud of you. And uh, that that moment, the the words from the king plus the hug is just enough to reach through the savagery and uh, gets Adam to basically release the power power and, and revert back to, uh, to Adam. So I'm going to bring up a slide here. Uh, I'm going to talk about Randor for a second. I, this is where I said earlier, I wish now that we had done part one, because a lot of the stuff that we're doing tonight, I would have done this earlier and it would have made for a a shorter show tonight, but Randor features pretty prominently uh, uh, obviously in the series. So I thought it'd be kind of cool uh, as we go through this to take a look at all the iterations of of some of the characters at least some of the main the main players throughout the the history of the brand so i mean we've got our uh our original uh, action figure appearance which you know built on that uh, standard he-man buck and then we get the uh the filmation the filmation king what i call the uh the foppish king the the burger king really that's basically that's what i call him the burger king version right he's all kind of like you know the the if anybody's a buffoon in in the show it's him and then in the 2002 series the version of randor we get there is very very different he's this warrior king you know i think at one point he was uh one of the masters of the universe he was a part of the heroic warriors yeah he never got uh, an action figure in that line but he did get a a, a very hyper stylized statue from neca which uh, I thought was really cool. I actually have that statue in my collection as well. And then uh, later on when they did the modern, one of the modern lines, the masters, of the universe classics, when uh, Mattel started making He-Man again, Randor got not one, but two releases, one that emulated his, uh, his filmation cartoon look. And uh, another one that is more uh callback to the original. Tour. Yeah. Yeah. But I like the, the changes because they've included some of the uh, iconography from like the 2002 series, like the, the, the Royal scepter there, how the, the symbology, the, the emblem and the jewel is in, in both the scepter and the sword. Mm. So it was a cool line. In fact, of, of all the masters uh, toy lines, classics, that's my go-to. I've been a, a masters, uh, masters universe classics fan since, uh, since it first came out back in what, 2008, something like yeah, that. the end of 2008. Yeah. 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 There's a line in the comic too, when uh, Randor is talking to Adam, and they do lean into that 2000 version. You know, I, I wanted to be the warrior, the warrior I wanted king. to be the champion. Oh, really? But it wasn't in the cards for me. Oh. So, you know, 
I know it's not great to pick out crowns and go drink wine and stuff, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to. Oh, right. So, to be the, uh, be the to be the thing that you're expected to be. And he even goes on, you know, like he man is the sword and we are the shield. It's funny that that's in there because again, like another allegory for, I mean, we see it with, uh, with later on in the series between Tila and her mother about, you know, what it means to be the sorceress and what it means to, uh, to give up your, your mortal attachments as it were, what it means to become a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to let that one die. There's uh, quite a few parallels, uh, in this. It is. All right. So we go back to the castle now, back to where, uh, the evil wars and we get a shot of uh there's a there's a full uh, more of a shot that's pulled back from this and it's looking through the eyes of the castle and we see that it's essentially uh her the sorceress's private chambers essentially her her bedroom yeah and we get another awesome cool toy callback to the uh the the sticker from the the trap door yeah the trap door sticker so i mean it's in this case it's a rug makes you wonder is there a trap door underneath that rug? It's possible. Yeah, I bet you there is. You know, somebody <laughs> comes in her bedroom she doesn't want and off with you. Yeah. So, I mean, and in this scene, she gets visited by um, Beastman. Uh, Beastman. And Beastman, my God, I love the characterization of, of Beastman in this. It, you know, it wasn't even until later on today where I was thinking, like, remember how, I, I said it before, the evil warriors, how they were characterized as sort of these, like, real simpleton, like. Yeah, there's nothing to them. Like, uh okay yeah. like they really had that didn't have a lot going for them as hank said there last week you know the higher goons yeah and i mean this version of beast man like does he not exude like shaman to you a little bit like yeah. he's just so much more in tune with like maybe the natural world yeah and there's more going on behind those eyes than he is letting on yeah he's way more insightful uh in terms of like you know, he may not say a whole lot on this, but he's, you can tell that he's, he's seeing it. Yeah. He's seeing it. He's paying attention. And now he's sort of planting the seed, you know, of like, maybe it's time for you. And he, I mean, he says it to her a couple different ways over different times in the series, but it's like, maybe you should just be your own person. And the first time he says it to her, she like, you know, snaps, like, what are you talking about? You don't know nothing. Well, in this one, she actually, he actually says, maybe it's time for you to lead. And she's like, we're both going to forget that you just said that. Otherwise I'm going to turn you into a, into a she said turn him into a dog maybe <laughs> foreshadowing <Yep. laughs> yeah yeah she says to him i don't know where he's leading us yeah and that's when he says that you should probably uh you should probably take over as leader what's going on here next we're gonna get down to where are we going now magic mirror we are going to oh yes the magic mirror did i miss something there oh no i did not okay so after beast man leaves the room lynn turns back to the magic mirror that's in the room you saw her leaning on it yeah and uh, she commands it to show her every instance of Adam releasing the power of Grayskull. And she adds the words, willingly or not. And already you can tell, like when I say that he's planted the seed, like something is up there. She's got more going on. She needs to know as well. Yeah, because I mean, you know, it could play to her advantage if she does make a move. Yep. And why wouldn't you want to have that knowledge, right? I mean, how many times? How many times in the classic series did did they mess up? Uh, and by they, I mean the evil warriors. And evil Lynn stepped in and basically said, "Okay, he's not here. I'm in charge." True. At least once. Yep. Yeah. 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 All right. So the magic mirror. This you can tell just from the spell effect uh, on the glass. It's a direct lift right out of the filmation series. Yep. 
And somebody on Etsy even went ahead and made this custom one as well that you could order that will scale with your classics Castle Grace. Oh, that's cool. When I was doing the research piece for this, I'd actually seen quite a, uh, there was a couple different ones that had a, a different, some of them were stickers and some, but that is a pretty cool yeah, looking. Like a 3D modeled. See, now stand up mirror. I don't have my castle set up as a playset as much as it's a display piece. So if I bought that, eh. it just, it would. It's more for you to know what's in That's there. That's true. I would know it's there. <laughs> then there's also the callback to the uh, the books as well. The magic mirrors. Yeah, 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 yeah. So not a direct link to it, but still magic mirrors. Right. And that kind of closes out the, uh, so that's the second episode as it closes out with her sort of on, she's now sort of taking it upon herself to kind of figure out what's going on. No, partly because Skeletor has ordered her to, but At partly because time, she needs to know too. She absolutely does. Yeah. All right. And that brings us up to uh, episode three, episode three. It's called uh, the gutter rat. And uh, this one's cool. This one's cool because we're going to go pretty deep on, uh, on Lynn's origins, which may or may not jive with some of the origins that you're already familiar with. All right. So we're going to go back to, uh, where are we going here? Base camp. We're going to go back to the base camp back at point dread where, uh, now reverted to Prince Adam, Randor thanks Tila for bringing him back and, uh, you know, basically apologizes to her and, and validates, you know, everything that she remember back in season one, episode one, you know, I've been lied to all this, the people who are closest to me, you've lied to me for so long. I'm turning my back on, I don't need you or any of you. And he basically says, you had every right to, you know, there was a lot of things that were kept from you. A lot of truths that, that were held from you. And he's like, and held from me too. So, I mean, in that sense, I think there's a, you know, a bit of a kindred, kindred spirit uh, in that sense yeah randor actually makes a point too because <laughs> it's like cringer comes forward and uh adam makes a point to say it was cringer that actually saved us back at the castle and uh randor now knowing that uh that adam is he-man automatically recognize now recognizes cringer as, as that giant the mighty cat. battle cat and actually so, oh, so calls him noble and thank you noble battle cat and uh, of course cringer is like oh yeah my king so that's pretty cool yeah but it's not a family reunion without uh without mom and uh, mom comes rolling up here on uh now you can call it a sky sled or you can call it a jet sled because it's been called both for uh for copyright reasons (laughs) but essentially uh back in the uh, now here we go back to the vintage toy line probably one of the, my favorite vehicles of all time, the, the battle Ram, which separated into obviously two parts, the, uh, the, the, the Ram section with the, the shooting missile and then the front sled section, which detached. Yeah. Which detaches and flies. And so on the, you've got a couple different versions here. You've got the vintage toy and you've got the classics toy. And, uh, what's funny in, in classics, they released the, they called it the, the jet sled. And they released it by itself before there was ever a battle ram. Hmm. But what they did end up doing later on in the line, when they got around to doing the battle ram, is they gave it, uh, the sled a different uh, head. So you can actually see there's uh, the snake head on the on the one that uh, Duncan is riding, and then on the vintage uh, one, it's more of like the the griffin the griffin yeah. head. And the reason for that is back in the filmation series, both the the good guys and the bad guys rode them each faction had their own head. So it's kind of a good guy, bad guy thing. So hmm. if you bought both toys and classics, you got both, you got, uh, you could switch it up. You could have uh, your good guys riding there. You can have your bad guys riding it. Hmm. 
what I think is cool about this though, is like judging by the, uh, the animation model for the, the, the jet sled there, or the sky sled, it is very much to my way of thinking is a, um, they must've used the, I think they used the modern toy as their, uh, to, model to scan for their wireframe model to make that. Cause it looks very much like the classics right down to the rocket engine hanging out the back, which the, uh, the vintage toy does not have landing there in front of the Royal tent. There's that thing I was talking about too. There that, um, on the, the door to the tent is that, uh, the light, the, the light hemisphere and the, and the dark. Yeah. And the dark hemisphere that, uh, Eternia is, uh, both shrouded in the light and shrouded in the dark, but yeah, so it's, uh, cool toy callback, but again, it's about the family reunion and, uh, it's uh, mother and son here as, uh, Marlena is reunited with her son and it's a big emotional moment for her as uh, they get back together and, and uh, she's like, tell me everything that happened. He's like, it's a long story, mom. And she's like, uh, what does she say? Oh, whatever. And she's like, you're going to come and tell me everything that's, that's happened. And then what you don't really see in this is that as they walk away, Randor is kind of left there kind of dejected. Yeah. Like, Oh, um, he's back and oh and you're here now and now you're leaving and I'm just gonna stay here like it's this awkward moment right yeah and uh, we find out later that uh, Adam's apparent death has caused some uh, strain yeah some strain on the relationship all right so let's take a look let's take a look at Queen Marlena and uh, Marlena over the over the years so of course we get her classic animation model from uh, filmation there as well as her origin uh, story as a, an astronaut from earth. And we covered that in our trailer breakdown as well, but it's yeah. always kind of fun to revisit that. And then, uh, in 2000, in the 2002 series, she got a really, really drastic makeover. Cause why not? Cause Randor got one too. Ooh, might as well. She's not, not so unlike the, the Marlena that we know from, uh, from the filmation series. I don't think in 2002 continuity, I don't think she's from earth. I don't remember. I'd have to go back and rewatch the series. But she's only ever had one uh, official action figure release. And uh, of course, that's the figure at the center of the, the image, the, uh, the Queen Marlena, who basically really emulates her appearance in filmation. But the cool part about that action figure was that um, it, it was packaged uh, in two different ways. So one, one packaging had the figure labeled as Queen Marlena. And then the other version had the figure dressed up as an astronaut to sort of represent her Earth heritage. And that was labeled as Marlena Glenn. And as we, yeah, yeah. Captain Marlena Glenn. So the idea is that she's related to uh, the real world astronaut, John Glenn. Hmm. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Now in the tent though, she does say, I, I considered going back to earth. She does say that. So that cements this, like this is the one she came from earth. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, that was established in the filmation series too. Cause yeah. she, uh, there was a whole episode on that too. I don't think she ever contemplated going back in filmation, but, um, there's definitely something there about that. Yeah. Yeah. So she talks about, do I talk about that later on? I don't know if I made a note on that or not. She does mention, cause Adam even says to her, did I, it's my fault. Did I denote that there's some, some tension there? And so she, she basically tells him, she's like, look, when you were, when you were gone, in fact, I think I do have a, yeah, I do have a, um, I do have a slide on that. Uh, losing the light, I think is the, the slide for that one. But uh, okay. So we'll, we'll come back we'll to that. There. We're going to come back to that one because we'll put a pin in that one. All right. So back to the uh, <laughs> uh, Duncan and the Orlacs uh, sitting in the bowels of Grayskull in the, the single 
jail cell, the single prison cell in the, in the dungeon. This is where I say like, there's that, like mm, the Orlax appears to be wounded because it makes this like vocalization, like where it actually sounds like it's hurt. Like, Arr! and uh, Duncan says, don't worry, we're going to get you some help. So it's like, oh, is, is he saying that like a concerned owner would say to their dog or have they, have they somehow communed or spoken to each other? Well, there's that thing about, you know, you spend enough time with your enemy, they'll become your friend. With knowing that the side effect of, of touching the thing is unconsciousness. I'm like, did he touch it? Maybe, you know, but if he did, how come he's not (laughs) snapping? It's not nappy time. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either. All right. But hey, whatever it is, they seem to have worked out their issues and uh, they're going to work on uh, getting out of there. But Evelyn approaches. Well, she does. And of course, the, uh, she gets a little, uh, it's kind of cool in this one because there's a, there's a whole lot of exposition here about, about who it was that got away from the castle. Not, you know, not really realizing that it was Tila and not fully understanding the relationship between the two of them. But it does eventually, uh, it, it does come out and she deduces that there was more to, uh, to Duncan and the sorceress's relationship. And, uh, she basically says, you can tell me what I want to know, or I can just rip it from your, your mind. And so, uh, Duncan being the crafty one that he is, he makes this, uh, you know, really swift remark, which hits her right in the, in the feels. Cause he's like something to the effect of, he's like you know, everyone in the castle, even those of us down here that hate you know how much you're, you're bullied, uh, by Skeletor and, and goes as far as calling her, uh, calling him her boyfriend. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if she's angry, embarrassed or both here, but I mean, she gets pretty rosy in the cheeks about it. Well, this is the second time in like a short time span that somebody's kind of pointed it out to her. Right. Well, I mean, and we keep going back to beast man on that one because he seems to be the, at least from, from that side of the fence, he's the one that's more, uh, really sort of in her corner. That's yeah. trying to, to appeal to her, you know, but she's had a whole, I mean, not a whole season, but she had the whole of part one where essentially, she, she was, was on the track to redemption. Yeah, she was making her own choices. She was doing stuff that was for her. She had the support of, of the people that were with her, even if they didn't fully trust her, which is more than pretty much more than she's ever had with the with Skeletor and crew. And then when he shows up, basically, she has a relapse. Right, right. Duncan points out how beaten down she is. And uh, he actually has to point out that uh, it's it's uh, she's been so beaten down that she can't even see that she's now Skeletor's better. She is more powerful than him. And uh, yeah, so he, what does he say? He goes on to say that um, because the champion's power is channeled through the sorceress, technically that makes Skeletor your your servant now. And uh, yeah, so. Uh, food for thought. Yeah, it is food for thought. One of the things, and this is, this is not just our show and not just the show that we're reviewing, but it's kind of TV and movies in general is that there's a, this one has a lot of things going on and and you're flipping back and forth between locations. So some things may seem a little disjointed, but we're going back to the base camp. (laughs) We go back to the base camp and we're treated to uh, another vintage uh, toy call back in the form of the attack track. And, uh, this is another one that didn't make it, uh, did not make its way over to, uh, 2002. 
and had a very, very different uh, appearance in the filmation cartoon. But it was a staple of the of that cartoon. It was. It was like the primary mode of transportation. The uh, the vintage toy uh, was a single seater for uh, for one, and then <laughs> the filmation version is like it's like this van. <laughs> I don't know how else to, what else do you call that? A van, the, uh, masters of the universe mystery machine, the mist. Yeah. The mystery machine. <laughs> it's almost like, uh, did you watch the original Battlestar Galactica? I did not. Uh, it's kind of like there's a vehicle in the, in the original BSG. They call it the land, the land Ram reminds me of the land Ram, except the land Ram was a track vehicle, like a, like a tank. Hmm. But yeah, so there's the, uh, attack track as it were, which I don't even think they we don't even see it get used. It's just sitting there because yeah, it's like the, the worst. Okay. The dragon Walker is, is the worst vehicle ever. <laughs> Cause I mean, you're only ever going to get like, don't try to cross any big chasms or anything with that thing. Otherwise you're falling in. Right. Oh, come on. That thing walked on its own. <laughs> yeah. Toy. That was incredible. Can you, yeah. Did anybody ever think about riding that thing into battle? We're going to take the dragon Walker and ride that into battle and we'll, we'll get there in 40 days. <laughs> <laughs> so slow oh all right with those toy battlefields in the kitchen she made her cross pretty quick uh, that's true on a flat yeah on a flat surface i, I guess i mean carpets and stuff yeah yeah all right so here's the point where we get back to uh yeah so we're outside of point dread up in the tower now and that's the point where uh, marlena and adam are now catching up with each other talking about sort of what's happened where you know when they're catching up she reveals that while he was gone, that uh, the strain on their relationship, uh, her relationship with Randor was nearly unbearable, that Randor had actually blamed Marlena for not telling him about Adam's secret, because we know from the uh, the filmation show that uh, she knew she knew she never did come out and say that she knew, but it was like it was pretty implicit, like that she was in the know. Yeah. And uh She's like, yeah, we just, I grew to resent, uh, eventually I grew to resent him. And it's like, we just couldn't agree on anything. And she's like, I was going to leave him possibly even go back to earth. And then whatever happened at Grayskull happened and Rainier threw them in the Talon fighter and told them to get out of, out of the city. And that's, you know, kind of what happened and why she never left because, Hey, all hell's going, uh, is going to break loose here. So. All right. And then, uh, oh boy, jumping back to the castle. We're going back to the castle. Now this is where things start to get really, really interesting. And this comes back to what I was saying before, about why didn't he just wait <sighs> inside the castle in the stream, as it were, you've got essentially uh Skeletor who's basically communing with the universe again. Only this time he, uh, he pretty much pulls uh, Lynn in with him and he shows her, you know, they start at Eternia, like they're looking at Eternia as if they were standing in orbit and then it pulls back and there's the, there's their solar system. And then it pulls way, way, way back until it's like all of creation is there. Yeah. We pull back almost to the point, like in men in black where you're not quite out of the marble yet. But. Yeah. 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 You're just on the edge of it. He explains to her that there's this thing that's this event coming that he refers to as the celestial apex. And that it's about to happen for the second time since creation. Creation obviously being the the first celestial apex. This actually ties directly back into the 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 Motu lore when they say that Eternia is the center of all magic in the universe. Yep. The celestial apex is the point where all magic everywhere is basically going to flow through Eternia. 
So when that happens, Skeletor is, will not only have power over the universe, but he will have enough power to control all of existence. And as he says, you know, an existence could use a remodeling. <laughs> Lynn, meanwhile, as she's witnessing this, she actually starts to wig out a little bit. Like she, I don't want to say starts hyperventilating, but I mean, Skeletor sees that she's like, like it's really a lot to take in at once and he tosses her out of the stream and basically says oh you don't you know you don't want to stare too much into the void otherwise nuts it becomes a addictive i think is what he says yeah oh there's a line here and this is i thought i thought i could do it justice but i really can but i mean you want to sort of get inside lynn's head and there's a lot more exposition to what uh what she says throughout the show but i mean this is pretty much the the beat that puts her on the path Life is nothing but an endless, agonizing freefall into death, devoid of any hope. There's no reason, there's no plan. We are, all of us, utterly alone. It's pretty bleak. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, this is where I, I say, like, <laughs> there's the, the big Lebowski moment with the, the nihilists, where she kind of starts going down that path where, like, it's, you know, I can't see an end to it. There is no, there's no meaning to anything, so why go on? Well, might as well just burn it all down around us. Yeah. And eventually that's kind of the, the path that she's going to go down. She sees there's no grand design to the cosmos and it's all just pain and chaos. And uh, yeah, as I say, that starts her down uh, her path to nihilism. Yeah. <laughs> so this that's after he's kicked her out. I just wanted to point out in this slide that there's a cool thing here where uh, going back to the vintage playset. Uh, Again, tooling costs and whatnot, you couldn't get, you couldn't build everything into it. So, I mean, what's the the next or most cost-effective thing? You know, stickers. stickers and cardboard cutouts, right? It's been a toy staple forever. But you can see on the back wall here, which is actually, uh, I think that's actually the, the, the front door, to be honest. I think that's actually the inside of the jawbridge we're looking at, or at least connecting to the jawbridge, yeah. the antechamber to the jawbridge the is, uh, yeah, there's a uh, basically the the pennant the pennant that came with the uh, original castle which was a, a one-sided sticker the show goes a little bit further because on the other side of that door there's another pennant and it's it's got a different image almost like the the good and the bad mm. but they're both hanging there again with the balance yeah 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 at the realization that uh, skeletor is on the verge of wielding all the power in the universe and all he can think to do with it is to kill he-man lynn bursts out with laughter she holds nothing back as she admonishes him much like he had previously done to the evil warriors back in the filmation series. She calls him a blithering boob. <laughs> uh, Lynn insinuates that uh, Skeletor could have killed, you know, or she says you're basically standing on the precipice of all the power in the universe. And all you can think to do with it is kill he man. And that's where she's just like, I can't believe you. She's like, you could kill Randor with a thought, and that would be enough to draw out He-Man, begging him to spare the life of his mother. But uh, Skeletor being the the type of guy that he is, because at this point, Skeletor doesn't see her as a threat at all. No, he never did. No, and I mean, uh, what does he say to her? He says, uh, strikes a nerve with her when he calls her an imaginative little gutter rat. And uh, clearly that strikes a chord with her because she instantly like instantly like completely silent turns around and just leaves the room 
and uh another sign of your abuser knows exactly which well this is it i mean uh i I don't want to make it an exercise or a discussion in mental health but i mean how much of of what affects us as an adult comes from our childhood and i mean uh, he's i mean it's the title of our episode the gutter rat and i mean there it is he calls her she is the gutter the gutter rat and uh that drives her out into this this hallway where she finds a quiet little spot and she actually sits down starts to cry yeah she bursts into tears i mean uh, at that moment you know that's that's you know five-year-old lynn you know reliving the, the the painful childhood that was her existence which she actually dives into because beast man once again makes an appearance and he he's trying to be supportive yeah but at the same time you know he makes a mention about his his people having a having a, a an expression and then he says it in whatever beast language he, he speaks and he's like that means be your own i think is what it is but lynn basically just uh says you know you know you're the closest thing to a friend i probably have uh, probably have here she's like i always thought of you as like a like a simpleton and then she said do you know how i came to be here in uh, with him or in the service of him and she goes into her story about how uh, she was uh, she grew up in a place called zalesia grew up in the slums of zalesia and she says that on her fifth birthday her poor parents, uh, poor starving parents decided that they had no choice but to try and uh, eat her. So if that's not harrowing, then I, I don't really know what is. Mm-hmm. Who does that? Steal a loaf of bread for Christ's sake. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so for that, she actually fled. Now, um, I can either get into the, the, the Zalesia thing or we can sort of finish out her little, uh, her little, uh, story here. Well, the, the cartoon itself kind of sums it up real quick, but the, the book dives in real heavy okay well let me just talk about zalesia for a second here and in terms of the lore for uh the other like the other lore the bigger lore yeah so zalesia uh we've we've heard this before zalesia was the name of uh what the second most prominent city of eternia in the 2002 series and it's now basically ruins it's sitting under a, a desert essentially but zalesia the the iconography of that city had a giant ram head at the city gates what does that tell you? Yeah. So it also was the resting place of two major artifacts in, in master's lore, the havoc staff with the Ram's head on it. And then another artifact called the Ram stone. And so, um, originally in that continuity, her father, and I did write it down. Oh yeah. Her father was a gentleman by the name of Nicholas power. He was actually like the mayor or the head of the city and uh, essentially broke his uh, sacred oath took a wife and had a child and because of that the council essentially cursed him to uh, to become what this character called the faceless one who would basically haunt the the ruins of zalesia for all time so in the 2002 lore the faceless one is uh, is evil lynn's uh, father hmm. and i mean it shows here this is a the 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 Masters of the Universe classics figures for both the the Faceless One and uh, Evil Lynn, and of course the 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 deco on these is much more akin to the the 2002 uh, series, the animation, and you can definitely see like the color palette is uh, similar across both characters. Mm-hmm. But you said something uh, interesting about the the tie-in comic book that there's more going on there. They heavily elaborate on this. Yes, her parents tried to eat her and she fled. She went and hides, goes and hides in the sewers. Sure, sure. And is met by uh, a old lady wizard 
who takes her in and, you know, kind of starts teaching her the ways of magic. And you remember her name? Uh, I believe Magistra. Magistra. So that when we talk, which is another callback. I wish I had got, I, I wished I had known that earlier because I would have thrown a slide in there. But so we've seen Magistra appeared in, in, in part the, one in the film. She did appear in part one. Yes. But the character also appeared in the filmation. That's right. Series, and it turned out it was evil in, in disguise. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So technically this possibly future version of herself goes back to save the younger version of herself. Sure. Sure. But that leads her down the road that she will eventually go. The other thing is when Skeletor shows up after she has tried, basically she gets, you know, raised up. And a few years later, she goes back to try and get answers out of her quote unquote parents. Right. And the wizard lady has told her, don't use it for evil or personal gain because it will corrupt you. And she knowing full well goes back looking for answers and revenge. Okay. At which point magister stops her and says, I told you not to do this. This won't yeah, end yeah, well. Yeah. No. But then the uh city guards show up, chase her down an alley, at which point she's, you know, backed into a corner, panicking and can't access her magic. Skeletor shows up to right. save her. And that's kind of where our story picks up here. Yeah. But very important, he says, yeah. you know, I could always throw you back to the parents that were going to eat you. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And she defiantly says, no, those were not my parents. They weren't they just my parents. bought me like I was livestock. So that, and that sort of leaves us with that, like, maybe there is room for that. Absolutely. Because one of the other things, again, not, having not reviewed part one, it's almost an afterthought. I just thought it was just an innocent, like, oh, we see the faceless one's armor in part one in fact i think lynn picks up the havoc staff the head the ram's head is sitting on it Yep. she picks it up puts it in her bag i'm like oh that's the faceless one's armor ah, that's cool they're just i just thought it was a simple callback and now with you know with the revelation that that's really those weren't necessarily her real parents that connection is still up in the air like they really could still be related yeah because if he wasn't supposed to have a child technically she would have been taken from him right and you know sold into slavery yeah 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 well that's where we get to the point in the in the episode where we actually get the visual component we don't get any of that the speech from skeletor but oh my god we get this awesome awesome uh appearance. apprentice yeah version. yeah yeah i mean skeletor without his i mean the the trappings of his uh, battle harness are there but i mean the deco it's black and he's got this like wicked wicked horde logo belt on which leans right into uh, the the lore of Skeletor being Hordak's apprentice. Now, that also gets addressed really heavily in the comic. Do we want to dive in on that? Uh, we can talk about that a little bit. We're definitely going to talk about it at the end. So, okay, because I mean, that's one of the that's one of the routes that are open to us for a, a season two. Should we? We'll leave it to the end after we get to that final. Yeah, if it fits shot. better at the end, sure. I think so. The origins right. of Skeletor. Yeah, yeah. So Skeletor, Horde Apprentice, Hordak Apprentice. Uh, but she says, you know, uh, in the series, it's like, you know, he he uh, elevated me out of the slums. He he bolstered my magic. You see him hand her uh, her scepter and gave her purpose, I think is what she says. Yeah. But uh, when the story is over, you know, that's where Beastman basically says, you know, be be your own, encouraging her to leave because in his opinion, it's only a matter of time before Skeletor will kill her. And I don't know if that's, you know, uh, you know, 
will send you down a course of action that will get you killed or like will literally kill you. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be some of A, some of B. I think based on what, again, what's in this comic book, it is definitely a factor. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he is present for when Skeletor tells Lynn this. Oh, whole, Beastman is. Yeah. Oh, cool. So he's really knows more. He knows more. Interesting. And her laughing is, is kind of weird because she hears what he has to say. I don't want to jump ahead, but I mean, we talked about how much death there is in this series and we know like we're going to lose, we're going to lose Beastman a little bit later on, but I I hope we don't though. I think there's room for room for him to return. Yes. Yeah. Well, and they can do it really easily by tying it back to the 87 movie. Sure. Uh, all the death in this just seems so final though. And we're going to get another one here. Uh, well, relatively shortly, but yeah given that he's as you say he's been around and has heard so much i mean he was let's be realistic here beastman was uh wave one of the vintage toy line yep he was definitely he was the very first uh, after king grayskull was the san diego comic-con exclusive nice. for classics beastman was the first uh first character in the uh the, the follow-up the first character of the subscription service he's was you know in, in i don't know it wasn't in every episode of the filmation series but i mean he's probably privy to more oh yes uh, more of the machinations than most of the evil warriors combined yeah so i mean it really and given what we saw of him in in uh part one how he sort of was the the pseudo protector for duncan and, and orco there yeah i mean uh, that's why i say like to me in this in this version he's more like a like a shaman or almost like a like a ranger like like in the in the strider sense mm-hmm. you know what i mean he certainly has setting Beastman up to be a leader of something somewhere is a really cool idea given like how you know how far has he come yeah 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 recognizing you know abuse going on yeah 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 all right so now we're gonna go back. <laughs> we're jumping back to uh base camp where we get this scene between Adam and Tila who are now hanging out inside the talent fighter. Tila is just kind of alone with her thoughts and, and Adam jumps in and we get a, we get a bit of a, of a throwback to that filmation kind of the, the comedy aspect where Adam's like, uh, the castle gray skull cabby and make it snappy. You know, he just gives her this like funny line, but really the whole conversation evolves and they, they sort of come to terms with each other with what had happened between them. And ultimately she forgives him. She forgives him for keeping the secret saying that she understood it, but then, you know, sternly says, but I'm not going to tell you that it didn't hurt and that your secrets didn't hurt other people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, he says that he's sorry for that. He also says, there's something else I need to tell you. And I probably should have told you long ago. And like, it's that awkward teenage, like I like, you know, kind of moment. Yeah he doesn't even get to get the words out of across his lips and she's like i know the sorceress is my mom and he's just kind of like oh and he just goes with it Yep. (laughs) unfortunately but it makes for a better payoff later on when they do finally it does when they do finally uh, get to it all right flashback we're going yeah we're gonna go back to grayskull now because it's gonna get real hot and heavy here for a second because now now lynn has a has a bit of a plan she kind of knows what's going on She's taken sort of, you know, what Duncan has said to her, what Beastman has said to her, and she knows that she's got to get the sword away from Skeletor. And the only way that she can do that is if he lets the power of Grayskull go. 
And so like any good, uh, well-written villain, and of course this, it's perfect that it's Lena, Lena Hetty playing this role right now is she basically lures Skeletor to, to release the power by essentially offering to have sex with him. But at the same time, this is a 100% Kevin Smith moment. In Going one right back to mall rats where they're talking about like Superman having sex with Lois. Oh Lane. yeah. 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 She says, you know, if you were to do all that to me yes, right now, you're you would God. rip me in half. Yeah. Basically you're a God and I would wake up in the afterlife. <laughs> yeah. So you got to power down. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah. Again with the adult aspect. So yeah, she basically uh, forces him up onto the throne and begins the, the to throne of Grayskull, climbs up on his lap. And I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I know that it they don't show anything. She kisses the bony face. Though. She does kiss the bony face. I mean, the innuendo is so thick. I'm left with they had sex at some point because he's like, I'm glad you took my point past tense. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, they really are. Well, she says that, you know, let's engage in our other favorite, yeah, our other favorite pastime. Yeah. So uh, implying that they've had, they have before they've had relations. Okay. So, I mean, uh, wow, that's a huge development for the, for the, for the show and for those characters. And it kind of solidifies that whole, are they, or aren't they relationship? A, a couple. Yeah. yeah. 2002, uh, explored that, uh, that she was in love with Keldor. And that, and they sort of leave it at that's why she stayed with Skeletor, but they don't really talk about them having any more romance after becoming Skeletor. Yeah. So I guess this kind of suggests that, oh, I guess they did. The rest of his body was still functioning. Yeah. 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 Anyway. All right. As she's seducing him uh, (laughs) and he says, uh, indoor sports. Kim says, uh, indoor sports, LOL. Yeah. Uh, I, I assume you mean uh, bedroom golf. <laughs> I think that's what has been called in the past is bedroom, bedroom golf. Boy. All right. So but, uh, he says, you know, glad to see the point. Yes. He says, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, I'm glad you decided you took my point. And then what does she say? She comes back with, that's not the point I came. That's to take. Yeah, not the point I came to take. So Lynn basically uses her feminine wiles convinces him to release the power of Grayskull. And then uh, at the, at the height of their innuendo, she basically grabs the leaps, sword. leaps off of Skeletor's lap, snatching the sword, which he's now arrested uh, against the throne and uh, basically holds it uh, to his throat and says, uh, you won't, you know, you won't kill He-Man. And she's like, it's the only thing that gives you any meaning to your pathetic existence. And uh, paints, kind of paint Skeletor in like a Joker light. I was going to, I, I was going to bring that up. Kill Batman yeah, yeah. and the Batman won't kill Joker. It's, it's come up a couple of times. Uh, once, at least once uh, before in this, it's going to come up again, but it is, there, there is that sort of irony that you've got, you, you've got a, uh, Mark Hamill who has been the Joker playing this character of Skeletor. And that there is that parallel, that Joker, Batman, mm-hmm. Skeletor, He-Man relationship and how it, it is sort of similar. But with the sword in hand, now, again, she's tempted even more because she's like, I wonder what it would be like. And uh, she calls the power of Grayskull. So finally, in a position of real power over anyone, she flirts with her own desire, calling down the power of Grayskull and becomes her own champion. At that point, Skeletor is like, oh, no. 
and uh, he's sl- yeah he slinks away through uh through a portal what i really like about this and i don't know if anybody else picked up on this one but like we're gonna take a, a bit of a closer look at lynn's face through this and to me this is a callback to the 1987 live action evil lynn with the uh the headdress there you can sort of see like the similar uh, yeah very similar with the jewel uh, in the center and the 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 triangular uh, uh shield shape yeah it looks very much like that if it's not congratulations to whoever uh, came up with that model because it sure looks like that it wouldn't shock me though no it wouldn't shock me either and then immediately after she becomes uh i guess it's god godlin, godlin yeah after she becomes godlin she uh basically does the the whole uh, sorceress in the sky thing like skeletor did and basically you know goes full nihilist here and she's like you know you've all lived your life thinking that you know your afterlife you join your heroes in praternia and uh, she basically pulls the veil back revealing praternia to the general public and then promptly proceeds to decimate it killing all of the heroes uh, or all of the the previous heroes destroys heaven yeah uh what's cool about this i mean we would have covered it in part one too is that praternia is depicted as the uh the attorney and the attorney a place that yeah which is like mo- considered to be like the holy grail of yep. masters collecting yeah it's uh always uh in, in pieces <laughs> hard to find complete with the three towers on the monorail yeah it's not to scale with any of your action figures so it's kind of this odd duck uh odd duck out but yeah, so she basically destroys heaven. So at this point, we flip back to uh, what I'm calling the war room uh, back at Point Dread. And uh, uh, the royal family are now struggling with, like, how are we going to deal with this? Like, what what can we do to fight her now that she's essentially a god? And uh, Tila, in the, her first real moment of acceptance, even though she's reluctant, says that, you know, the only way to stop a sorceress is with another sorceress and she basically says uh i'm gonna have to figure out how to to use my power and and adam even says to her you know she's just she's got all this power and you're just starting to to learn how to use yours and she's like well i'm gonna have to learn fast all right so she's like they they're like how do we get how are we gonna get some help and she's like well i'll i'll try and send a a psychic message and uh as they're uh, sort of discussing what to do we get the the doors to the uh, the chamber slide open. Is they're like uh, you know we need help. Who who can we yeah call yeah yeah for help? Oh that's right. They say uh, at this point uh, any help we would take any help would would be welcome. And uh, funny you should say because the door cracks open and uh, Skeletor is marched in with under guard, and uh, he's like uh, invite me in you royal boob. <laughs> and uh, that closes out episode three. Moving on to uh, episode four, weird with the naming conventions on these, like this one, it's called Hope for a Destination. And uh, anybody a fan of Four Non Blondes might recognize that lyric. Yeah, so uh, we get... And another callback to the Four Non Blondes uh, He-Man video. I didn't know that they did one. Well, they didn't. Somebody out there did, but uh, they've sampled all the filmation animation and put it to that song interesting it is hilarious if you have not seen it go check it out okay so that's a that's a level of depth that i did not get to so thank you for that all right so uh tila is uh here on top of the talon fighter at, at point dread hanging out with uh, andra 
and she's trying to send her a psychic message and uh it's not going so well i mean you can see the little the sigil on her forehead uh, uh she's able to tap in a little bit but for some reason she cannot she feels like she's having a, a block that she can't get through and uh, she wishes there was another way but andra's like listen there is no other way and she's like if there was i would have figured it out by now and uh, tila's like what i need is a giant transmitter uh, a transmitter of some sort and uh, just like that randor and marlena just happen to arrive and uh, basically say listen the mystic mountains essentially are more powerful than any transmitter on the planet if the right person could figure out how to use it which again kind of says you know that hand of destiny steered them there because to the mystic mountains where they needed to be needed to be yeah to send the message Back in the command center, we get Adam and Skeletor who are now studying a three-dimensional model, a wireframe model of the, the celestial apex. And the two of them are trying to work out how are they going to stop Godlin. Skeletor realizing the, his own folly in how, that, how he's treated her over the years remarks that when the apex comes, not only will Evelyn have the power to wipe out all of existence, but because of his actions, she will have the will to see it through. He also posits that there still might be a chance uh, in the sense that because of their relationship, he might be able to get both of them close enough so that Adam can call down the power of Grayskull. But that's where Adam says, I don't have the sword. And Skeletor is, well, you did it without the sword. You can just do it again. And uh, that's where Adam kind of is like, no, I'm, I'm never going to give life to that thing again. So staring down at the, uh, the hollow table, Adam sees Tila levitate as she attempts her psychic message again, sort of uh, before remarking to Skeletor that he thinks that he has an idea to stop Lynn, but in order to do that, they have to get, they have to go to Grayskull, <laughs> which is kind of funny because uh, Skeletor's follow-up line to that is, what, we're going to go and talk nice? <laughs> and uh, you just see the look on his face. Oh my God, we are. <laughs> uh, it just kills me. All right. Then we go back and we find Lynn is now in the uh, the pipeline communing with the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a really cool moment because she goes in there and, I mean, you had talked about this, uh, the vision, that the vision is potentially different for, uh, for whoever, for whoever is in it. And notice the way that, because, I mean, Tila is going to have her own vision, but how she accesses it is so different yep. to how Lynn gets there. Lynn is just basically... She's in the ether. She's uh, making her way there. And what does she end up doing? She basically goes all the way back to uh, the beginning of time. And uh, she witnesses essentially what she interprets to be the death of Zor at the beginning of time. And of course, we've already said Zor is an allegory for, for God, which just reinforces her notion of there's nothing. There's only chaos. But what's really cool about this sequence is this is perhaps one of the most, in my opinion, anyway, this is one of the most interesting callbacks to the vintage toy line, because this clearly is a representation. The three symbols of, uh, of the serpent, the serpent uh, slithers up to the ram, bites the ram, killing the ram, then the falcon swoops in picking up the serpent and then the serpent bites the falcon presumably killing the falcon as well but those three symbols are indicative of the three factions of the original action figure line in the sense that the snake is the snake men 
the Ram is the evil warriors and the Falcon is the masters or the heroic warriors. Which could lead you to directly into a season two confrontation with the snake men. Well, if the evil warriors and heroic warriors don't put their, you know, differences differences aside, aside. the snake will get them both. So we can talk, let's talk about that for a second, because one of the things we didn't, that didn't get brought up in the series is, uh, is the snake God Serpos. So, I mean, if Zor is, is, uh, an allegory for God, then presumably the Ram and the snake are also allegories for other gods. Mm-hmm. Serpos, the snake God in some, uh, in the other lore is actually snake mountain is snake mountain is the petrified form of Serpos, the snake God. So when they did the uh, the Snake Men season of the 2002 series, yeah, they were actually setting that up that Serpos was going to come back. So uh, as for the Ram, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, if you're going like with the literal goat horns and goat hooves, yeah, you know yeah. that's been equated to Satan at some points. That's true, and but in the Masters lore, I, I don't know. You know who? You know, could we name a character that's you know other than Skeletor? Yeah, but again, you know, Lynn's father. The faceless one. He was the first bearer of the of the uh, the havoc staff. So yeah, I don't know if he's you know godly or not, but it's not out of the question anyway. No. So the snake bites the ram. The falcon clutches the snake, and then the snake then bites the falcon. And when the falcon falls into the lake, Lynn is shaken from her vision, and uh, basically she comes out of it failing to uh, to reason that there is there is nothing left to uh to go on for and basically beast man meets her on the other end of it and says what did you see and uh, she says i saw zor die at the beginning of time and and this is where i think you know there's beast man is way more insightful in the sense that he says i don't think uh the universe is meant to be seen that way and she's like well you know basically she dismisses him as essentially being an animal at that point yeah Beast man knows the power of the universe uh, of the universe and the impending celestial apex has warped her mind, but he cannot uh, get through to her. Right. So I feel like the characterization of beast man throughout the show has been a very welcome change from that of the filmation series. He uh, seems to be more connected to the natural world and less of a simpleton as he's previously been portrayed. And he might even have like, you know, some underlying feelings for her. I never right. thought of that, but that's not a, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But literally, she is, uh, I mean, like I say, she's she's just wiped out Preternia, and uh, she's on her nihilistic path. She's going to burn it all down, and she's literally about to throw something at him, blast him, when uh, there's another clarion call from outside, and uh, we see that it's Adam. It's uh, Adam outside blowing, blowing the horn, and that's enough for her to... Uh, be distracted that she's like oh i gotta go deal with this and so uh she's uh dialed in on the on what's going on outside there's another shot of those uh those pennants by the way hanging up we see the the good and the evil pennant but more importantly another throwback to the vintage uh castle play set is that just above the the door is the same shield logo that appears on the exterior of the jaw bridge on the vintage toy. Although this one looks a lot more like the classics version. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the version that we're looking at right now. Turns out it's a uh, Adam Skeletor and along with uh, Cringer and Panthor who have uh, come to negotiate. 
so we'll take a look here at the uh, the cats here for a second because both of them appeared in the original show. Both of them appeared in uh, the toy line. 2002. I probably should have thrown some more images in here to cover that, but uh, the 2002 Panther is a, essentially is a straight up repaint of uh, of Battle Cat. But again, that's so 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 consistent with the brand, right? Yeah, because like the original, he was just painted black and then flocked purple flocked purple yeah and then there was no headdress on panthor no and the head there was no headdress on the 2002 so i mean this version is the masters of the universe classics version which is clearly what we're looking at here the with the ram the ram horned uh, helmet and uh yeah i mean the vintage toy line arguably you could say that if you took the armor off of battle cat you could say that it was cringer, but we all know that it yeah. was the the big Jim uh, Tiger mold. Yep. And in fact, in the current line, in the uh, the Masters of the Universe Origins line, they've actually gone so far as to uh, give the little the little fang that hangs out the side that that cringer has that Battle Cat doesn't. They've done that with the new Battle Cat. So again, nice. take the take the armor off, and it's supposed to be cringer. But keep in mind that the Battle Cat for the Origins line is the largest battle cat of all the toys ever made. So it's even more out of scale. The action figures. There was a, 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 a cringer that was done to scale. The one that we're looking at here, that was a cringer was actually a, a, a pack in with uh, queen Marlena. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, the only reason they could do that was uh, by doing him as a solid uh, molded piece. So he has no zero articulation, but arguably i would say that this version of of cringer which is the first official version has uh probably the the better likeness of the two and certainly a better scale even though that some people say that's a bit a bit large mm. so the uh the negotiations uh really are essentially just a large distraction because while they're upstairs in the throne room trying to uh, negotiate their way to lynn you've got andra and tila who are basically sneaking in through the grate uh, yeah. under the bridge through the uh, sewers of Grayskull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't really <laughs> it doesn't go very well for them because apparently uh every evil warrior that's ever appeared anywhere is living down there. Yeah. <laughs> and we get a litany of uh, villains that that turn up to attack them starting with uh, Spike Or. Spike Or who has uh, been a, a a mainstay since well, right since the vintage toy line. Of course, you know He's had several appearance, several looks, and has appeared in several toy lines over the years, including the new Masterverse line. So he's a cool figure. I mean, you go back to the filmation, uh, the animation model for filmation, and and again, I mean, the show did aim at kids, so you can't really you can't really blame them for that. But I mean, he's got two hands there, and and not his trident, uh, yeah. his trident appendage, I guess you could call that appendage. Yeah. I don't know, arm. There you go. Sure. And they tried to fix that in, in, uh, later iterations, arguably the classics one. Now there's two versions of the classics one. There's a, there's one that's more, uh, meant to emulate the vintage toy, which I think is done really well because it comes with uh, different length tridents to simulate the, hmm. the old, uh, action feature of the toy. And then you have one that's based on his filmation appearance, which, yeah, it looks better than the, the animation model, but, uh, I don't know. And then of course the new, uh, the new masterverse version of that 
Yeah, Spikey as he is, he was never one of my favorite characters. No? No. Uh, well, our next villain coming up here, who drops in from the ceiling, uh, Webstore, what about him? I really liked his appearance in the 2000 series. I did as well. Webstore was probably one of my favorite villains uh, of the vintage line, too, because he had this cool action feature where uh, he had a back, his backpack, his battle harness essentially had a, a, a line in it. Yeah, had a line. And he could climb. With his, uh, what do you call that thing, a grappling hook, I guess? Yeah. But he's had several appearances over the years as well from the vintage toy line. His his filmation appearance uh, is uh, a little more uh, subtle. And then uh, 2002 took a, a sharp left and they really dug into this uh, spider thing. Yeah, the arachnid uh, spider-like quality. Unfortunately, he's another one that never got a figure in the 2002 line, but he did get the uh, statue treatment from NECA and honestly guys if you're uh if you're a collector and you're a lover of masters universe uh the NECA staction line which was nice. essentially meant to continue the 2002 aesthetic some of the best sculpts out there are, are in that line then we fast forward up to the uh I guess it's the the masters universe classics which is kind of a hybrid it kind of blends the the arachnid uh, theme with the extra spider legs uh with the with the vintage style More traditional style yeah yeah and now full circle with the origins line which really leans into sort of the vintage line and essentially uh well that's kind of what it is i mean he looks yeah. pretty much like the original figure with just some slight color variants mm -hmm. and then i mean oh my god who are we gonna get now we're gonna go into uh this guy blade blade who's right out of the 1987 live action movie and he, this is his first appearance in the series. Yeah. Like the new series. He does show up briefly in the comic book. Oh. But it's only for like one panel. Interesting. So again, just like a quick little nod, but. So Blade goes all the way back. He goes back to the vintage line. You know, 1987 was like the the, the line, the toy line was sort of in the, the throes of death, as it were. Yeah. I mean, they'd had some of the figures kind of figured out what they were going to do for the live action movie. And Blade is, is one of just a handful of figures that came out for that movie. The actual stunt coordinator, the guy who did all of the sword training for uh, Dolph Lundgren, is the guy who ended up playing the, the character. Hmm. Yeah. Double duty. Yeah. And then, I mean, he got a really good, really, really nice figure in the classics line, um, obviously, which is a huge, huge update to the character and fully articulated. Um, but yeah, a whole lot more faithful to the uh, big time. Movie. Oh yeah. 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 They, they tried now the, the thing is, I don't know why they did this, but they gave him two different swords. Hmm. I guess one is to, to look more like the sword from the film. And then there's the, uh, the, the two, the sword that looks more like the vintage toy sword, but they gave him essentially one of each instead of giving him two of one, hmm. which the vintage toy had two of the same. So either way, I like this figure. Yeah. And then we got, we got one more here and we saw him back in, uh, oh, I think we saw him in, yeah, in season one. Cause he showed up driving, uh, one of the Rotons. It's, yep. uh, Clawful. And, uh, again, Clawful, who's uh, again, a big staple of the, the brand who's been around for a long time, had a, a very strikingly different look in uh, filmation where he looks almost like, it's more like a lizard or like a, like a dragon. Mm -hmm. than uh than a character who's supposed to be based on a lobster which totally didn't match <laughs> his action figure no no not at all i mean again like i say he's a crustacean lobster yeah crab i'm gonna call him a lobster i think he's a lobster probably anyway 
he's got the big the big uh the, the crushing claw and then the little feeder claw they did get around to making an action figure that did look like the filmation animation model say that three times fast there you go filmation animation Ooh, not a fan of that look no. i am really really not a fan of that look uh and then again in the 2002 series he got reimag- uh, reimagined he is by far one of the biggest stactions uh statues in the line the, the stations were meant to be the same scale as the 2002 action figures and when you put that staction beside say he-man uh it makes he-man look really really small well he was meant to be oh big. he was huge yeah yeah and then of course the uh the classics figure which is a, a nice callback to the the vintage toy with uh, much more articulation mm. all right so the villains or the evil warriors have basically they're all hanging out down there and they're going at Andra and Tila slowing them down. So now we've get the, we get our, I, I don't know if it's a rescue moment, a little bit Duncan and the Orlax show up. Uh, and basically the Orlax cleans house and, uh, gets rid of all the, 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 the villains, which is interesting because this goes back Almost to that, all the villains. Well, we're about to get another, <laughs> another dose here, but for the, for the moment, there's a reprieve from the evil warriors as Duncan is uh, reunited with his daughter. Where was his gear being stored? Somewhere down there. Clearly. Cause he shows up completely armed and armored. I know they explain how they got out, but this, it goes back to that. Like, how did he communicate that? And that means he did put his hands on that. Uh, well, he even says, line. I mean, we see him, he kind of, you know, like when you touch something gooey and you rub your, you get like, what the hell is that? You see him do that rub his fingers together like ooh, this is gross with the purple slime and that's i thought oh is he going to use it to grease himself up and squeeze between the bars but then he says no that it turns out that the orlax slime is highly conductive see because when i saw that for the first time i'm like yeah he's going to fire that stuff at the control panel Well, that's i thought that similarly as well but i'm like you're going to use the grease to get out like and clearly they did to some degree but just not in the way that i no. that i thought my question is, how did he communicate that to the Orlax? Don't know. Yeah. So there, again, some of those, a couple of questions that are left unanswered and that's fine. You know, I can suspend disbelief enough for that. All right. I mean, it's a, it's a cartoon and it's, it's called masters of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back upstairs in the throne room, we've got this, uh, Skeletor and Adam and the cats uh, now press their attack against Godlin but it's to no avail and poor Panthor pays the ultimate. He takes the worst. Sacrifice. Yeah. This is part of that uh, permanent death thing that uh, I was talking about earlier as he's turned to stone and falls to the floor and crumbles to bits. Really shatters. Yeah. And I mean, this whole thing is going on. It's a cool sequence. I mean, Skeletor's uh, he's got this portal thing going where like Adam is darting between the portals, like making little hit and runs against her. And it's, I wouldn't say it's effective uh, as a, as a, as an attack strategy, but it definitely keeps her off balance. True. And it is kind of a callback to uh, Avengers infinity war where Dr. Strange is opening portals and Spider-Man is just flipping portal yeah. to portal to portal. Yeah, yeah. 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 I see that in there as well. There was a, who's the Spider-Man villain that had the, the dots on him that he could, he could like, I think it was the spot. Is that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what I thought of when I saw this. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we got a fight in the basement we got a fight in the throne room 
we're going to go back to the basement for a second because yeah. now that uh, there's been a reprieve and the, the villains have been, the A-listers have been, yes, eliminated. the A-listers have been dealt with. There's this moment where Duncan and Tila have a moment about, you know, thank you for being my daughter and that whole, you know, now it's time for you to go and do the thing that you're meant to do. And you got to go through that door over there. Right. But not before they, <laughs> not before they get accosted by these two characters uh in the form of goat man and pig, pig boy. boy yeah 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 we talked about both of these characters back in the uh the part two uh, trailer review but we'll take a look at them again we get uh, goat man who uh, made his first appearance uh, his only official appearance in media in the children's book the secret of the uh, dragon's egg and uh finally Many, many, many years later, got an action figure in the uh, classics line as well. And uh, he's accompanied by Pig Boy, who, as we said before, was, uh, you know, young Richard Sponder, who won the the contest from Mattel to get a, a walk-on role in the 1987 uh, live action movie. Uh, yeah, Pig Boy and Goatman. So, uh, Man-at-Arms and Andra, they hold off the attackers, which is just enough to allow uh, Tila to reach what is called the Tide of Transformation. At first, I thought they were going to go with the Pool of Power, but they, mm. they renamed it to the, the Tide of Transformation. Uncertain of her uh, future as the sorceress, Duncan reassures her that her psychic message was heard loud and clear. Because he heard it. He heard it in the Dungeon of Grayskull, so... That kind of, you know, gives her some resolve to go through with it. And, and he, there is some hesitation and, and there's going to be some more hesitation going forward. Cause again, there's, you know, like she said to Adam, I forgive you, but that doesn't mean that it didn't hurt. And, uh, there's still the, some unresolved conflict with her mother, which we're, we're going to get to here shortly. Duncan, he does point out though, you know, oh, we're getting to the bottom of the barrel for Billy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, uh you know you've reached the bottom of the barrel when <laughs> all right so meanwhile outside you've got uh you've got the king and the queen who are basically forming up what's left of the royal guard to march on grayskull and they come to the realization that you know this could be it it could be and randor basically says you know if the future is uncertain and he just wants to apologize to her and you know essentially you know renews uh, his profession of love to her and they essentially you know decide that if they get through this that they will just live for each other which is pretty cool and then this next uh, this next part is pretty cool the message got through people show up uh, and they show up pretty fast mm-hmm. uh, in the form of we get a bunch of uh, of human civilians that show up as well as the merfolk now that we saw the merfolk back in uh, uh, part one, uh, that's merman's people. So yeah. voiced it, by Kevin Conroy. What's interesting is that that means that the mer people are not innately evil. No, it's just him and a select few or alternatively, the stakes are so high that even the evil races are showing up because it's more important to, yeah. to survive as well as the Indrenids and uh, the avions. And if Merman is one of the evil warriors, maybe this is the ram and the bird joining. I guess. Oh yeah. 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 All right. So back in, uh, in the building, uh, in the bowels of Grayskull, we finally, she gets on the elevator. She makes it all the way down. She's met by the ghostly form of her mother. 
who tells her that you must give up your mortal life. And there's a whole lot more that's said there too, but that being the sorceress uh, of Grayskull is considered to be the highest calling in the service of Zor. But Tila is hesitant. She is still resentful and she feels abandoned. And the sorceress explains that she never wanted Tila to experience life as she did tied to the castle. And that's why she had remained anonymous all those years so that Tila could have a full life before she ever got to the point where she would have to make that decision. Whereas you get the impression that like her mom was basically groomed for it. Yeah. Like this is your, this is your lot in life, which kind of thinking about the whole, uh, Nicholas power thing about, you know, breaking sort of his, his, uh, sacred oaths and taking a wife and having a child. It's almost like the sorceress did the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'm going to be the sorceress of Grayskull, but before I do that, I want to, I want to have a child. Anyway, I kind of like that. And then just shows, you know, the different fallouts from that. Like Tila goes to live with her father, loving home and all that. Yeah. And evil Lynn gets sold into slavery. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 All right. Back upstairs. Things are going crazy. And, uh, there's a point in the, in the battle in the, in the series where she said to him, are you uh, more beast or more man? And so at this point in the fight, he, uh, he reminds her, he's like, you once asked me if I was, more beast or man and he's like well today i'm more beast and uh she basically uh, prophecy fulfilled she threatened to turn him into her little dog and so she does she turns him into battle dog maybe beast dog <laughs> battle dog i think is what but at the same says. time it's like you know he's he's throwing his loyalty in with her i choose yeah her. yeah yeah no that you're absolutely right uh, yeah, so transmutes him into Battle Dog. Lynn finally breaks from Skeletor, not just metaphorically, but also literally when she tells him that uh, seeing as Skeletor is a survivor, uh, referencing his whole survival shtick from part one, how uh, he lived inside of her uh, staff, her scepter. Leached and then, off yeah, her energy. Literally uh, fed off of her body until he was strong enough to regrow his own, I think is what what he says. She says, as seeing as you're a survivor, I'll just have to destroy everything. And uh, yeah, she basically starts to do that. But at the same time, Randor's forces and the uh, the forces of the Eternians combined begin to march, uh, march on the castle. So as the army assembled outside is enough to actually get the attention of evil Lynn. Uh, and when Adam reminds her, because she says, uh, excuse me, I have to go and uh, deal with the planetary revolt. I think is what she says. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, there isn't anybody out there that would even, you know, consider fighting for you. So she basically raises her own army and it's an army of shadow beasts. So, I mean, if you guys were watching, uh, our trailer breakdown and I, I talked about this before we saw shadow beasts and we saw that dragon, I didn't realize that the dragon was also a shadow beast hmm. because I'd said, where is Grandamir and all of this? Yeah. It's not a real dragon. So presumably he's still you know doing what he does sleeping on his gold pile i guess so so we get uh, shadow beasts and uh we're going to talk about shadow beasts here for a second because that's a that's a callback to uh filmation that's one of the few original filmation characters that made it into the toy line now it didn't make it into the vintage line but they did uh, manage to secure when they find and it took a while for mattel to actually secure the the rights to filmation characters probably because of how many times the brand had been sold and who owns what and and this and that 
but finally they got the rights and they they made a, a, a shadow beast and he was a an oversized figure he was huge i think he was close to it's close to eight or nine inches tall hmm. might even might have even tipped the 10 but we saw them they made a single appearance in the 2002 series uh, but they definitely look more like the what we're seeing here in revelation more more shadowy more whereas like the filmation one looks like a long-haired unicorn gorilla there you go <laughs> uh, but that's not all everybody no no kids there's more there's more to be raised from subternia well see that's the thing do the shadow beasts originate from subternia i think so because in part one they they when they go down there they are accosted by shadow beasts. they are, are they okay so oh, that could be their I origin remember point. that oh and in a twist of fate the shadow beasts are led by none other than a resurrected scareglow tony todd's back the candy man himself oh this is a cool figure now the the original Scareglow came out towards the end of the, the toy line right around uh, what? 80, 87. He was one of the last, yeah. which also makes him one of the most, he's also one of the most expensive to buy. Most sought um, after, you know, the, uh, there's only been three versions of this, uh, this action figure in, uh, well, I guess I think Mondo is doing one as well. I can't, I think these are the only ones that are out now, but anyway, all three of these figures, they all glow in the dark. Yep. The vintage figure uh, right now, I think uh, we're in Canada. I think that figure with accessories is well uh, over two hundred dollars now, which is interesting when you consider that the classics figure that's out of package though. Yeah, yeah, that's loose. Uh, the classics figure sells for just as much now, hmm. and of course the origins figure. It kind of I don't even recall seeing it. Did you did you see one on the shelves? Uh, I have not seen one yet. No, no, I haven't either. So the only one I have seen is the WWE rip on it, which is the Scareglow oh, Undertaker. Right, 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 right. I did see that. So yeah, I mean Scareglow is back. He's leading the uh, the army of the the dead, the right. shadow, the shadow army, I guess. Ooh. the armies of Subternia. Yeah, and uh, with the the revelation that uh, that Scareglow is back, that's where the episode uh, closes out. Uh, which brings us to episode five, our final episode of part two. And <laughs> the title of this one, it's right out of a toy commercial. It's uh, episode five comes with everything you see here. Yep. <laughs> you feel like I should be saying like batteries not included. Maybe. All right. Back downstairs in the basement, uh, Tila now on the edge of the tide of transformation enters the pool, finally ready to uh, accept her destiny just like Lynn, she witnesses the death of Zor at the beginning of time. Meanwhile, the battle rages outside and the king exclaims, they've broken our lines as uh, the shadow beasts start to tear through everybody. But what's really cool, there's this really cool moment where like the king is about to be smote by Scareglow, who basically is melting Randor's sword out of his hands. It's not going very well. And, uh, there's this like flash of light, a color, this red color. You like, what, what was that? Well, he goes off and he's like, uh, you know, the, the fear of a King must taste incredible. Yeah. It must be the, yeah. The sweetest tasting or whatever it is. And, uh, Randor, who's pretty much like, he's basically staring death in the eye. Like I said, there's this flash of color and it's like this red fabric ribbon. Yeah. But it, it, not only does it flash in front of Randor, we get these quick successive like what you see the same thing in the in the in the throne room. Lynn kind of is like what, 
And then down in the dungeon, it's the same thing. And then we find out that, uh, turns out that when Lynn resurrected Scareglow, Scareglow, that opened up the door to Subternia, which basically left uh, Avenue for Orko to come back. A leveled up Orko. Well, here's the thing. And I, I, I didn't notice it the first time around, but now that we're talking about it and having rewatched the episode, Orko is in three places at once because simultaneously, not only does he rip the halberd out of uh, Scareglow's hands, saving King Randor, he deals with Goatman and Pigboy. He also rends the power sword from Godlin's hand. So when you say uh, powered up, yeah, that's an understatement. Yep. It's interesting to note because uh, in the uh, some of the established lore, they talk about Orko as being like the most powerful wizard from Trolla. And that, uh, you know, in the Filmation cartoon, it's like something with something about Eternia interferes with his magic. And that's why his spells are always bungling. But yet when it really counts, they work. Yeah. And then they go on to establish later on in some of the comics and stuff that, uh, no, no, that's just, a that's just a ploy. That's just a foil to uh, throw people off that he's really like this uber powerful wizard. Well, uh, it turns out that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and, uh, so let's take a look at Orko here because Orko again, I mean, we got what, one, two, three, four, four action figure variations of this character based out of, uh, well now three three appearances, three animation appearances, including the, the revelation series, but, uh, well, he's got a fourth one, but that's a different series. Uh, Oh, sorry. You're right. I, the, the I never one from the new kids, Netflix. One. I, you know, it never even dawned on me to include those characters in this, uh, this look. I, I pegged that as a separate entity. That's true. I guess another um, faction of the, uh, multiverse. Orko is an interesting character because there was no toy for him. Uh, when the line dropped, uh, again, they, he came, he showed up later and i mean i don't did you have a vintage orco in your i did okay so did did you manage to hold on to the rip cord i did <laughs> good for you orco as a toy i just never it just didn't work for me i, I mean it just i'm like that's supposed to be orco but it doesn't look like orco the hat is wrong like I never liked that toy. Yeah, the 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 ripcord feature was kind of nice, so he would just kind of spin around, spin around like, like a top. He was flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the accessories, the little magic discs, those were right easy to lose. The 2002 Orco was pretty faithful to the the filmation series. It kept the really the similar color palette. It added some accoutrements to him. Uh, still kept the the comedic mm-hmm. uh, nature of the character, but uh, God, I mean. We saw, and I, I mentioned this back in, uh, when we watched part one is that, uh, if you paid attention to revelation part one, Orko, uh, actually evolves through all, uh, both of those looks in the series Yeah, when he's uh, sick and dying, he looks very much like his 2002 self. Whereas at the beginning of the series, he looks a lot like the filmation. So I thought that was a nice, nice throwback. And then the 2002 action figure was kind of cool. Again, hyper stylized, yes. semi semi posed already. Came with that uh, that la- this launcher thing, which was supposed to simulate a spell effect, I guess. Mm. And then we have the uh, the classics version, which is clearly clearly based on his filmation appearance and is very faithful. And then uh, most recently, the uh, origins figure, which again is uh, somewhere between somewhere between the vintage toy and the and the filmation animation model, I guess. Yeah. 
but yeah, Orko is back and uh, kicking butts and taking names mm-hmm. neatly. However, and I mean very, very neatly, levitates the sword over and drops it right into uh, Adam's hands. And finally, part five, we get He Man restored. And it's glorious it when is. he uh, recites the words. That's where we get the, the line from the trailer. Oh, you guys are in trouble now. Yep. But twist of fate here. Not only is He-Man restored as his battle cat, but then Adam actually turns the sword on Skeletor and restores him to his champion form, the, the Skeletor form. And when Skeletor is like, but why? Uh, Adam tells him that, um, what does he say to him? He says, so you can feel like a hero. From yeah, him. so you can know what it's like to save the universe. At the same time, downstairs, as the celestial apex is happening, Tila finally reconciles with her mother, who basically, you know, says, I've I've looked after you, I've watched you, you've been with me every day. Our on our bond is unbreakable. And she consciously embraces the power and emerges as the new sorceress. And uh what do you think of that model? What do you think of the look of her? I like it. I very much like it. It's a nice, uh, uh, nice blending of uh, the previous costume and maybe even the Egyptian one from the two thousands. I thought so as well. I like the the bird motif. It's still a bird, but it's different than it's not like right on the nose. yeah, yeah. It's not the Zor Falcon cowl. It's more, it's more armored, like her uh, her guard tiara. Mm-hmm. I guess her captain of the guard. Yeah, tiara. it's almost got that snake like. Yeah, 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 yeah. It very much does similar to that uh, vintage toy armor. So the new sorceress bursts into the room just as evil Lynn is about, uh, is absorbing the power of the celestial apex, which is interesting because if you're watching it sort of with the, the wider lens, did you notice how, when she was down in the, uh, in the tide of transformation that the energy was flowing up from below her and it was like that, that, well, the, the rainbow hued color. Mm-hmm. And then from above in the throne room, the power was coming down through the, I don't know, like that lens system that was focusing the, the, the stream. And yeah. it was sort of that red. It was a, a mirror image of the, of the energy coming together in the celestial apex. Yeah. Only just on a smaller scale. At like the center of the universe. scale. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then Tila busts on the scene as the new sorceress, just as that's about to happen. And uh, she engages with Godlin. Unfortunately, the battle uh, spills out onto the jawbridge and uh, uh, Beastman, Battle Dog, unfortunately is lost to the void as a battle, ca- basically flips Battle Cat on his back. And, and uh, the monkey flip from commences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he falls. And I don't think he's gone. Well, simply because when in the 87 movie, yeah, and Skeletor falls to his death. Oh, right. right there's right. that end. Look, one of the original end credit scenes. I'll be back. Yeah. He pops up out <laughs> of the water in the bottom. So there's no reason why beast man can't do the same. There's a, there's talk about that, uh, chasm that it's like this endless, you know, it like, don't fall off that. Cause it goes on forever. You'll fall right to the center of the planet. Yeah. So could he have caught on to a precipice on the way down? That's possible. Why not? You think we'll see him crawl his way back out? I think so. Given how much time and, and energy and effort they put into developing that character, I, 
I don't it think would be that a he, shame. Oh my him. gosh. Yeah, of course it would be. All right. Tila and Lynn battle high above the castle while Skeletor, as expected, now turns to betray He-Man and tries to kill him. However, the battle is interrupted when Marlena flies over and she's like, I've got a special, a special bomb to drop. And it turns out that that bomb is none other than Ram man. She drops him like a bomb on Skeletor's head and it levels him. Like it flattens him right out. And of course the, the sound effect that they use for that is this massive, like kaboom. And uh, even Adam is surprised, you know, he's like ramp man. And uh, he gets up and he's got still got the springy legs, like in the, in the filmation series. But he's like, yeah, your mom is worried about you, <laughs> which is kind of nice. Meanwhile, uh, oh, sorry, I'm going to take a look here at Ram Man because there's another character we didn't get to look at very well. Ram Man. Okay. So, you know, Orko, I, you know, who was obviously disappointing to me as a, an action figure, was only slightly less disappointing than Ram Man. You know, Ram Man, above all the other characters in the vintage toy line, is like, what? It's a blow molded toy has almost no articulation spring loaded with a trigger release on the ankle. Yeah. The spring loaded leg thing. It's kind of neat. And it was something that they, they repeated for the 2002 toy line as well. And of course, obviously by the time we get the classics, we got a full, a full, a fully articulated action figure that in fact, it got a second release hmm. um, from super seven when they passed the license over there to his mini comic, mini comic colors. So, a little different than what we got in the, in the classics line, but, uh, and then of course now with the origins line out, he is a deluxe figure in that line. Is he deluxe? He is like clamp champ is as well. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he looks good though. He looks like the blow molded toy, but articulate. Yeah. This is where things diverge. Cause Lynn thinks that she's basically called a, the power of the apex. And she makes a remark to Tila about, you know, look at how, look at how glorious it is as the, the light of the stars fades to total blackness. And Tila says, uh, you think you did that? No, I brought us here. This is where I wanted to go. This is my vision. And so, um, she actually shows. They come to the shore where the, uh, where Zor and the snake have just fallen into. the lake. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we get to see the, uh, basically a condensed version of the, the death of Zor at the beginning of time. But where Lynn was kicked out of her vision because it was just too much for her to handle. What we didn't know is that Zor is reborn and uh, comes out of the lake and is like totally reborn. And it's this, it's the symbology of the, 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 the circle of life, life, death and rebirth. Yeah. Yeah. The endless circle. So that, and some of the, like she has this whole conversation with her about making choices and like, you're a good person. You, you did things, you made choices and you can do that again and you can be your own person. And, uh, basically this is where, where Tila decides that she's going to, she's going to go her own way. She's like, I'm not just going to protect the power. I'm going to use the power, you know, to, to be more, to be better, which is basically what her mother said, you know, be better than me. And so she actually says, and the line changes. She's like, we have the power. And uh, as she leaves the vision, that's enough for uh, Lynn to uh, relinquish the power. And so she does, she, she lets it go and she reverts back to herself. So then we get uh, the, the final battle here between uh, He-Man and Skeletor, which really it's uh, very standard fare. It's almost over before it's begun kind of deal. 
where uh, essentially Skeletor gets knocked very, very far away. But there's a line He-Man says here because it's Skeletor, not about us. Yeah, he's yeah. still like, you know, I have to kill you. And he's like, no, it's not about us. It's not us. about us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As uh, as Tila and uh, Lynn arrive on the scene and uh, together with the power of Grayskull and the power of the, the, the sword channeled through the sword, the two of them are able to close the uh, the celestial apex, which is starting to basically rip the fabric of existence apart. Unfortunately, the side effect of that is it's pulling, yeah, it's putting everything back where it was, which includes sending Scareglow back to uh, Subternia and Orko as well. But if you recall back in part one, when uh, Orko was basically holding Scareglow off at the gates and they, you know, Lynn couldn't, she kind of wanted to, to get involved, but couldn't. There's this whole complete change of heart, and she's like, not this time. And as yeah. Orko is getting dragged away, she she reaches up and grabs him by the wrist, and she's like, no. And she pulls him back. So it's good to know that uh, a simple holding of hands can stop death. <laughs> yeah, but she's got magical. She does. She does. That's true. She really does. The next thing that happens uh, in this in the in the episode is we go back to um, we go back to the uh, Eternal Palace of Eternal. Yeah, the palace. And uh, by now we see Duncan's in a whole new uniform. He looks like he's some kind of like vizier or like some kind of like uh, advisor to the king. And he makes a grand speech about you know family is you know what we choose to make it, and uh, and it's today that they're going to welcome a new member of their family. And uh, he turns basically and introduces Andra as uh, the new, uh, the new captain of the guard, the new man at arms, the new man at arms. Right. So the job that Tila was originally about to take in episode one, part one yep. is now fallen to her friend. And uh, for the first time in attorney's history, we have a sorceress of Grayskull attending the Royal court mm-hmm. as Tila is standing there and, and that's a big deal. Like Adam even makes a point of saying, you're the first, you're the first sorceress ever to, to leave Grayskull. And that's why I said all along, like, Hey, Skeletor, all you had to do is wait for that celestial apex and you'd have had all the power to do whatever you wanted. <laughs> He's impatient. But no, he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. So after the, the, the ceremony, Adam and Tila finally share that moment. And it's, it's a callback to the, uh, the Talon fighter where, uh, finally he's able to say in a roundabout way that you know he has feelings for her and and she actually uh makes a joke about you know not needing him around and she's like oh no i'm always gonna need a champion and and then she kind of returns the sentiment and then they don't actually ever say i love you but tila says something to the effect of like wherever wherever you go wherever i go you go and uh, they hold hands and it's and it's enough to let you know yeah that, uh, that's what's happening and as we close out the episode, we get a couple things here. We get this uh, this scene with Lynn, who is now some time has clearly passed because her hair has now grown out. She's no longer dressed. She's dressed far more subtly, more uh, more feminine. Looks far more. She's you know, lost more of the purple accents. That we yeah, 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 yeah. Dark side, right? And she basically puts down the scepter. It's symbolic, almost like you know when you when someone's leaving a leaves flowers at a graveside. It's very symbolic that way where she just leaves the scepter on the ground and she just walks off towards this town. I don't know if it's, has she gone back to Zalesia? I don't know, but if 
the comic is any indication she might. Okay. So, but she walks away from that former life or so it would seem anyway. And then we finally get our last, oh my God. And this, this is the big cliffhanger, you know, ending here is uh, Skeletor who was knocked who back knows where but yeah all the way back to snake mountain has nowhere left to go has no no minions thinks that he can just march into the cult of motherboard now the cult of motherboard when we last saw them was like being run by triclops, uh, triclops and uh trap jaw as the muscle yeah and they were worshiping this effigy that looked like screech a little bit yeah so screech was the was the evil version of zor the the toy the falcon toy but we see that the effigy of the uh of the screech transforms and basically becomes this like uber robot version of the sorceress essentially has still has the the bird like cowl and and big wings and uh you know almost like uh in star trek the borg tubes mm-hmm. like the nanoprobes uh basically infects skeletor with what looks to be some kind of techno virus and uh the final uh, the final shot is uh a little trap door on the the head opens up and we get this hollow projection of the uh the horde emblem and i mean skeletor is completely dejected like he's like what no it, it can't be so that closes out our series uh that's all five episodes in a in a Ooh, two and a half hour nutshell mm-hmm. but um where are we going from here i think we're going for the horde it's, as long as uh ratings and whatnot are good enough they'll get another one it's really on the note well see now that's people were talking about that the other day and they're like i don't know what regions people are watching in, but they were talking about this didn't even make the top 10 list really yeah i don't know if you saw the top 10 in canada over the last week i have not yeah i've looked at it i didn't see it there huh so I'm a little concerned for it, but not so much that, you know, I'm really worried about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, really, they, they didn't go for a second season of the dark crystal. No. And that was incredible. Well, so did they not opt to continue that in a, in a graphic novel or uh, it's possible. I don't know. And Netflix is, is weird that way. Mm -hmm. But if we want to circle back around real quick. Yeah. uh, Skeletor in issue two of the series he basically pulls lynn aside to tell her of his origin oh really and he tells uh of his life on this planet apollos and he had a wife he had a kid and they were basically slaves they rose up defeated the the masters but then they came back harder and ended up killing his wife and child interesting so he was once again a slave at which point Hordak shows up with the Horde and offers him a chance. Like, I'll teach you this. I'll give you all the power you need to bring your wife and kid back. Oh, that's cool. Because and there's a, there's some, I'm sure that is one of the established origins for Skeletor prior to the, the Revelation comic book, the, the planet of, of, uh, Apollos or Apollos, I guess, whatever you call it, of uh, skull headed people. Yep. <laughs> all of them the same way. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he gets his apprentice gear and he goes through the motions of, you know, helping Hordak conquer realm after realm with Eternia being like the final, final piece. Yeah. But he turns on Hordak and claims Eternia for himself. Oh, interesting. And of course he's telling this to Lynn and she's like, how much of that was the truth? That was a lie. And you know, he's like, no, it's true. I've never lied to you. 
and she still doesn't believe him. And as she walks off, he's like, what gave me away? And she's like, you know, it's just not you, but he's clenching in his hand, a little amulet that was of his wife. So chances are it was true, which makes it weirder because when uh, Lynn is laughing at him and like the nod, he says, I need to remodel the world. Maybe he's meaning to remodel it, to bring back his wife. Oh, you know what? That's an interesting thought. That, totally makes sense to me actually you know what i'm gonna use this one because this is a pretty good uh there is one more part where hordak does allow him to bring back one person and he brings back his daughter oh no way so there's a character that could potentially appear in future episodes i'm going to take a look at something here for a second I'm, and i'm going to bring this up for uh for everybody to look at because it actually it hits uh it basically hits uh, two birds with one stone here is that right Two words, one stone. I think so. Is that what I'm saying. Okay, let's bring this up here. I wanted to bring this up because this kind of fits both sort of options. One, the yeah. the horde option, and two, it talks about one of the. Can we call it the redheaded stepchild of masters? I'd say so. Okay, so let me just with the idea that uh, Skeletor is uh, is the an apprentice of of Hordak. It it totally makes sense given the the horde the horde symbology that we've seen going forward. That that is kind of what they're going to do. And that opens the window for the inclusion of uh, She-Ra, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Although that could be a, a totally other thing because... Because of what they already did with her. Well, that and that She-Ra is owned by DreamWorks. Yeah. Uh, and currently, I don't know how that's going to work. Whether Dream, is DreamWorks, are they part of Universal? I'm not too sure. Are they their own thing? That series has finished, so maybe the rights are back up for grabs. I don't know how that's going to work. But the other thing that I thought, the Technovirus, when we looked at the Technovirus and we saw what it was doing to Skeletor's face, is there a chance that they're going to try to incorporate some of the elements of the often maligned New Adventures of He-Man? quite possible because this is the uh, this is the classics action figure for that that toy line which looks far better than the uh, the animation model by the way um but it is a very technological looking character which could you know fit sort of the aesthetic that they may or may not be going for with them. like they don't even have to go into that particular storyline if they're just borrowing his look. right 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 no they can just use that look and, and, and they don't even have to leave the planet it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need a, a full reimagining of the new adventures because, like you say, it's a, you know redheaded stepchild comment aside. It is arguably the weakest of of all of them. No, it's not to say that there's not some redeeming qualities for the show, but it's a the animation style is so different and the the premise is so different. And there's it's really such like a departure. Tying factors to the original, the first episode uh, with the acknowledgement that oh yeah. Marlena admits that she's always known that he's been He-Man and he's like, great. And then he goes off into space Yeah. and then Tila shows up in one episode, like way down, way down the line. But again, you know, huge diversion on the animation style and tonally just different. Yeah. But still an interesting thought that, you know, is that some, something that we could be, I think so. Doing? Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. be too far of a stretch. And I mean, this picture kind of sums it up because I mean that you could, you can have the best of both worlds here, right? Yeah. Because I mean that that's a great looking action figure, and and if they decided to do that, I would watch that. And really, like if Hordak is taking control of him after being you know thrown out of Eternia, look at uh, you take him over with a nanotech thing, and that puts him right back at heel. Uh, and look at the last iteration of Hordak that we saw on television, where Hordak was essentially depicted as a cyborg. Hmm. 
you know, like uh, in the in the DreamWorks, the the Shira and the princesses of power. He was not only a a, a clone, but he was a cyborg yeah, clone. Yeah, and I mean it it fits in line with the filmation series. I mean, with the the transform. Now, mind you, it's a little more silly because I mean he turned himself into into a rocket, but uh, <laughs> the old arm cannon. <laughs> yeah, at least there was that, and all of the buzzsaw attachments and all yeah. the the cool stuff about Hordak. None of the silliness. <laughs> the snort. That's true. All right. Well, I'm going to leave it at that. I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to add before we uh, sign off for the night? I don't think so. If, if you haven't watched it yet, give it a chance. There's so many redeeming qualities to it. Honestly, I don't understand how people have, you know, found room to hate it. Well, I'm right there with you. There's no room. Uh, I mean, you can not like something and you can be critical of something without having to tear it down or actively attack people who choose to embrace it so that's kind of what we're all about here on fandom power we're about uh you know liking things and we like people who like things and we hope that you guys that are coming along with us like the same things that we like because if you uh you keep liking us we'll keep bringing you things to talk about that we like (laughs) speaking of likes it's that time again where i uh, make the plea if you like what we're doing please uh like comment and share this video with your friends and uh always remember that you can catch us uh, on our audio, uh, the audio version of the show after this wraps up and uh, we're on all the places where podcasts are at, particularly the big ones, Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. So lots of ways to, uh, to find us, lots of ways to communicate with us, and we're going to keep communicating with you. I hope you guys enjoyed the, uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show and uh, we're going to be back a lot sooner than you think Keep your eye on our uh, social media spaces because uh, we got an announcement coming up here. So uh, for Fandom Power, I'm Wes. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time, guys. Bye Bye for now. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.